Guaranteed to have more content in it than James Hinchcliffe's fuel tank. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody back to Motorsport 101. This is episode number 56 and um, something weird's happened. We, we appear to have lost Dre. I, I don't know. King, what, what's going on? Where, where is he? Can you find him? Uh, no, I, I can't find him. He seems to be missing. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's actually trapped in work at this point in time. He's stuck in a bookie somewhere in West London. Uh, just kind of, just kind of just staring at a screen full of fake horses racing and old men just like living out the rest of their lives through this. So basically what's happened here is it was either going to be so late in the week to record this that there'd barely be a show at all, or he would have to hand the keys to me and King. Unbelievably, he chose the latter. So, and hilariously, we're all set to do this a couple of days ago. We're recording this Wednesday. This is, uh, we are here for Wednesday, September 7th. Uh, we were supposed to do this on the Monday, and then five minutes before recording, in typical show style, my Wi-Fi adapter for my computer just had a meltdown. It exploded. It may as well have had a small rush room cloud coming out the top of it. <laughs> it's kind of disgraceful. So that happened, but now we're here, and we're ready to go. We've got a stacked show, and as you probably just guessed, I, of course, am Adam Johnson, and I'm joined, as usual, with the American Connection, the true American on the team. It's Ryan King. How are you doing, sir? Yes, R RJ isn't replacing me anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, you were desperate to get back on here. You were like, nah, motherfucker, you ain't taking my spot on the team, man. <laughs> it's a bit like the show you guys did with Connors one time, and I'm like, and then Dre was like, yeah, we're just not bringing Adam back anytime soon. I was like, excuse me. <laughs> so, yeah, it's good to have you back uh, after recent show disasters. We've got an absolutely stacked show, but let's... um. Let's get it out of the way, of course, <clears throat> early. You can, of course, lock into us uh, across social media. Our main hub is on SoundCloud, so you can find us over at soundcloud.com slash motorsport101. That's probably where you're listening to us right now. You can also hear us on iTunes. Please subscribe to us over there because it's all good and you get it all pushed out to your phones really easily. It's the easiest way to get podcasts in. So you can find us over on iTunes and on SoundCloud. We are as well on Stitcher and TuneIn as well, I think. So basically, yeah. whatever, you, whatever your podcast medium, we've got you covered. We're also all across social media. We're on Facebook, uh, the Motorsport 101 Facebook page. We've been collating your questions over there the last few days for the mailbag segment at the end of the show. We're also on uh, Twitter. We are setting up a dedicated Twitter account at some point. Dre seems to think it will take ages to do uh, when it's about five minutes. It's yeah, about it's five, five minutes. minutes. It's, it's just yeah. you need a username and an email address, and you're pretty much like good to go. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Also, someone has decided to message me the exact details of their holiday to Germany right as we start recording. So, <laughs> <laughs> very useful. But for the meantime, you can catch us all on our individual. Uh, Twitters. Uh, Dre is at Harrison101HD. I am at AJ underscore Bombersports. And Ryan is at Ryan Eric King. That's 
E R I K K I N G. So two Ks. Yes. yes. Um, and- not like the two K games who do the wrestling <laughs> games. <laughs> Yeah, and if you really, really like the show, you could pledge us some money on Patreon, and you can get some very cool perks, including early access to the show. Yes, we are uh, just having a fiddle around with some of the, the perks on Patreon, but you can also support us over there. Uh, we do, it obviously takes a fair amount of our time and out of our schedules for this week to, to do the show every week. We do it for love. We do it because we enjoy it so much. If you want to help us and support us doing that, please do. Uh, if you if you can't afford to do so, you, you don't want to do so on Patreon, then know that just sharing this link out on social media, subscribing on iTunes, all that good stuff, you're still supporting the show just as much. That's fantastic for you. So we've got all that out of the way. We've got the admin out of the way. I'm now in charge of the ship. How hard can it be? Right. <laughs> First up, let's dive straight into Keeping It 101. So we dive straight into Keeping It 101. This is our kind of informal segment, the the kind of off-topic segment we like to do. Previously in this section, we featured talk of the Olympics, or rather... My love letter to Laura Trott. Um, we've also featured talk on Robot Wars, how much Chris Evans screwed the pooch on Top Gear and how much Chris Harris brought it back. Uh, for this week, we've got a variety of topics and it's quite funny because obviously I'm the guy on the team that's the stereotypical NASCAR fan. If anyone's going to drop NASCAR references on the show, it's going to be me. I don't yep. want to live up to the stereotype <laughs> coming in and being the first thing that I talk about being NASCAR, but... Um, well, it's keeping it 101, and the first thing I've got here is NASCAR King, because what happened this past weekend was the Southern 500 weekend at Darlington, my favorite race of the year. They did the, for the last two years now, they've done a throwback theme, which is where teams will run special throwback retro cars and paint schemes. Uh, the track will get into the vibe with it. There's all old school, there's old Hall of Famers and guests there. They'll go as far as bringing in legendary broadcasters, Ken Squire and Ned and Dale Jarrett on commentary, which is just spine chilling for a, a broadcasters like us. Um, second year in a row, it's done. It's been a roaring success. Uh, King, I mean, wasn't a huge amount to talk about in the race. It was a proper like Darlington slugfest. Um, your favorite retro schemes? I think I know the answer oh, to this yeah, one. Yeah, it's probably the old Bill Elliott McDonald's McDonald's Tonight <laughs> scheme run by Jamie McMurray this year. That was that was my favorite one. Yeah, that was. Bunch. That was fantastic. And and as we record this, I have just recorded a video uh, for the Team Bomber Sports YouTube channel counting down my favorite throwback schemes. So by the time this podcast goes out, the video will already be up, hopefully. So this won't be a spoiler. But uh, mine was probably Ryan Blaney's David Pearson throwback. It was just, and they 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 nailed the old fire suits and everything, and the, yes. the crew shirts and everything. Um, really, there was about ten or twenty you could have picked. Tony Stewart's Bobby Allison throwback was very popular. Kevin Harvick nearly won with the Cal Yarbrough nineteen seventy nine scheme, <laughs> and then ironically, for the second year in a row, well, I say a non throwback one. It basically last year. Carl Edwards won in a car which wasn't running a throwback scheme. This year, Martin Truex Jr. won in a car that was, as RJ O'Connell very wittily put it on Twitter, a faux-back scheme. <laughs> it basically wasn't a throwback, was it, King? Yeah, it, it wasn't a throwback, but I I like when teams get into that sentiment where we're going to run, like, our own scheme, but with, you know, a retro twist. Like, I I have no qualms about a faux-back faux scheme. No, I mean, I liked it. I think I liked Chase Elliott's Napa one. That was quite cool. Uh, yeah. 
you know, uh, like Chris Bush's loves travel stops retro looking car. That was cool. But the Martin Truex Jr. one, it just looked like a scheme he could have run next week at Richmond. <laughs> yeah. And then it was like, oh, he's going to win. Oh. Well, one of these years, an actual proper throwback's going to win this thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's eventually, it's it's going to be weird. I have a feeling it's going to be weird. It's going to get to the point where the throwback schemes getting, like the throwback ideas getting so old that they're going to throw yeah. back to a livery that was run at, during one of the throwback races. <laughs> and, like it, It's going to be like, oh, Furniture Row Racing is running the, the livery of, of 2016 Southern 500 winner Martin Truex Jr. And then that wins the race is actual throwback <laughs> It'd be like throwback section yes. what, what i think's funny about it as well is that I, they may or may not have cribbed the idea from uh in 2012 the v8 supercars ran a throwback kind of theme for the bathurst 1000 i believe it was for the 50th anniversary of the race yeah and they had teams that year running retro schemes there was like old holden dealer team peter brock schemes like old Alan Moffat, um, you know, all the Colin Bond, you know, all the old schemes. And now v- it's kind of come full circle because apparently V8 supercars are toying with the idea to run, do a similar thing for the Sandown 500. Yeah, that, that'd be cool because uh, like the, the idea of running, like having a retro weekend is it, it probably gives, you know, more visibility to an important race weekend that, you know, didn't get that visibility before. Yeah, I think what it is, uh, it works at Darlington because it's the oldest race on the schedule. The Southern 500 has been running since 1950. It's nine years (laughs) older than the Daytona 500. So, you know, it it probably, if any race on the calendar deserves to go retro, that's probably, you know, it's a fair game. And I I love it because Darlington was kind of fading in relevance and it's my favorite track on the entire schedule. So I'm kind of glad it's been given this real kind of boost of relevance all over again. So, but I mean, go on. Yeah, like I would say, like oh, over the weekend, NBC, NBCSN ran an excellent hour-long documentary on the history of the Southern 500, and oh my yeah. god, it was spectacular! Oh, and they also did a segment pre-race where Jeff Burton does the laps in the NBC uh, stock car, but he also got was it a Richard Petty and a Benny Parsons classic yeah, Benny was, Parsons was, and Richard Petty cars was, to do the lap with him. Yeah, it was a Richard Petty driving by, driven by Kyle Petty, and I think a Benny Parsons car driven by uh, Jeff Burton. Uh, I think Dale Jarrett drove the Parsons car because oh, Jeff Dale Burton Jarrett. drove the NBC car, yeah, and I was so yeah. disappointed as a Jeff Burton mark. <laughs> I was so disappointed Burton didn't get in, and I was like, where's the X-Side number 99? <laughs> oh, God. That <laughs> Black glory. I, I think that would have just like, the memories would have been too intense for oh, him to get in there. Permit- well, that was the car that got me into NASCAR and made me a Jeff Burton fan. So if he'd rolled out in that, I'd have just been like, oh, excuse me for a second. Like, yeah. I'd have taken that or maybe the the orange singular number 31, but that's probably <laughs> too recent to be a throwback. Yeah, like, I still remember that X-Side, X-Side 99 finishing second place at the Rainbow Warrior 24 oh. at the Southern 500. So, uh, I'll, I'll give you that one I'll give you that one that was it's just such a cool car I still have the original diecast it was the first NASCAR diecast I got and literally it was just pink and black I just got the car and I didn't know any of the drivers and I was like who drives this car it's really cool oh it's Jeff Burton I'll support him and then 10 years of frustration and brief elation followed yeah, I'm pretty sure that's like most NASCAR fans kids you, you just your favorite car is the best looking car yep that's the one and you end up following that driver through hell and high water but um well I mean you're probably sitting there going come on lads that's not the big story that came out of NASCAR this weekend is it oh, especially dear. if you don't follow NASCAR that much 
Yeah, you probably, the only thing you saw that happened in NASCAR this weekend was two guys basically beat the shit out of each other in trucks in Canada. Yeah. That <laughs> happened. King, I'm Adam Johnson of Motorsport 101, and what just happened? <laughs> Oh, John Hunter Nemechek, just, uh, how do I even describe this? This, like, the finish is all over YouTube. You just need to look up truck series finish from, from you know, Canadian Tire Motorsports Park to just see what happened the last two corners. Yeah, and it's kind of weird because it's almost like, I, I think the more you watch it, it doesn't, it isn't quite as controversial on each watch because on the first viewing, it basically looks like, because Cole Custer's leading into the final corner. He parks the bus on the apex. John Hunt and Ebertech just punts him, like, out of his way. And then Custer goes wide. Looks like he's about to fall off the track altogether. And it looks like John Hunt and Ebertech just turns left and slams both trucks into the wall. They then drive full speed down the grass, like, scraping the wall <laughs> to the line. Daniel Hemrick in nearly third nearly beats both of them because, you know, he's still on the track. And Hunter Nemechek's awarded the win. There's a, there's two massive punch-ups between the two, including no, one oh magnificent the, the, flying tackle. Yeah, the flying tackle. Oh, the like if I had to break down that video where where Nemechek is going to get the flag for or flag from the starter, and and then you just hear somebody saying he's running on the track, and then Hunter Nemechek looks around like shocked, like I'm not running. Then he turns and sees Cole, and he braces oh for impact, and then Cole just tackles it it's just hilarious it's almost like in rugby when you see the fullback someone's broken through the line like some massive forward has broken through the defensive line you just see the fullback there like shit uh oh <laughs> it's, it's like flying straight at me and Custer just comes flying at him it's hilarious but like King I don't know I, I don't know if it's just me but on repeated viewings it almost looks like John Hunt and Emicek, he doesn't mean to slam into Custer a second time. It's almost uh, like he goes to floor the throttle, truck starts to get loose on him, there's a wheel spin, and in trying to correct it, he just swerves into Custer's truck and they sort of lock together and sort of career down the wall and through the grass. Like, I would say, like, the first bump to try to move him out the way was definitely, like, kind of typical NASCAR, that was fair, but the second sliding into him, I would say I'm... I'm leaning towards, like, that was totally uncalled for. Yes, he lost control and, like, Lee slid into him, but he kept going into it. Yeah, he, he didn't let up. It was just literally, like, it was, like, in 2003 at Darlington, ironically, where Craven and Kurt Busch pulled off one of the most spectacular finishes in NASCAR history. They slammed into each other off the final corner and just stayed locked for the entire front straight. It was like that, except Custer was also being slammed into a wall all the way down. Yeah. Like, it's crazy. Some of the photos are amazing. There's, like, dirt and everything being kicked up. Because as I say, they are fully in the grass. They they completed the final straightaway of that race off the track. Like, I don't even know how you'd compare it. Like, I'm, I'm trying to think of something else. It'd be like if the entire last straight of the Italian Grand Prix, both cars were crashing and sliding along the wall on the grass yeah. at Monza. And we'll get to that in a bit. I mean, to be honest, if there was one race this past weekend that could have done with that, it was that one. Yes. But um, pretty wild. And what I noticed, King, is that almost the entire NASCAR community, like a lot of drivers, a lot of senior figures, they were out for John Hunt and Emacek. They were not happy about this at all. Yeah, that that is something you don't want to encourage at all. Like blatant, no. blatant, like reckless driving. Because John Hunter Nemechek knew if he like you know pulled away from Cole, like he was going to lose the race. He had to keep driving yeah, into yeah. Him if he was going to win. And in the post race, like in the post race interview, John Hunter Nemechek said, uh, 
Cole would have done the same thing to him. And I was like, no, he wouldn't have. <laughs> I'm not so sure, you know. Like, it's it's weird what people will do for the win, but no, like, Custer's generally been pretty polite about it. He's been conducting himself well. Um, yeah, this was like, and my question for you as well. Cole, it seemed like he got all his, like, aggression out, like, during the fights. Yeah, that was, it was like Custer was pretty chill after the race. Wow, he's pretty calm. Yeah, that's because he's already tried to punch his head in twice. And he did it properly as well. Oh, no. Did Custer keep his helmet on during all that? Uh, no, Nemechek kept his helmet on. Yes, because it's normally the guy who's the most angry. It's the guy who knows he's in the wrong that keeps <laughs> his helmet on. Have you noticed that? I think, I think, um, like, Nemechek didn't even have any time to take his helmet off. <laughs> Yeah, he just got swarmed as soon as he got his truck. Like he got out of the car and went to get the flag and got tackled. <laughs> yeah, it was almost like, oh, shit. <laughs> but, um, I mean, a, a slightly serious question to all this, because it was hilarious. We had, like, the wrestling commentary over the top. It was good. It was a good laugh. But at the same time, King, a little bit of me was a bit kind of cringing about it, because, like, this time last year, a little bit later last year, we had the whole Matt Kenseth, Joey Logano shenanigans where he, Logano got deliberately walled and all this sort of stuff. Like, I thought this year was supposed to be the end of the whole boys have at it in NASCAR because it had kind of gone too far. Do you think this kind of risks making a bit of a mockery of that? Like, do you think there Uh, should have been something happening here or do you think it was just about fair enough? I would say it'll be fair enough if it doesn't carry on to the next truck series weekend. If this is like the end of it, then it's fine. Yeah, well, I, I I have a horrible feeling that if Custer doesn't make the chase, John Hunt and Emicek will, we know that. If Custer doesn't make the chase... John Hunter Nemechek's not winning the championship. He's not getting out of the first <laughs> yeah, round. It is going like, to be Kenseth Logano all over again. And NASCAR no, has I, I no right to be surprised be, at this point. I wouldn't say it would be straight up Kenseth Logano. I would say, like, the entire rest of the field will make sure that he does not make it to the next round. Yeah, and NASCAR has no right to be surprised when that happens. <laughs> they had this all happen last year. It happened. So yes. it, was, it was pretty crazy. I mean a way to steal the limelight when the series was in a completely different country. But um, that was pretty fun. Uh, all, all, obviously, this is all just building up to the biggest news of the week, the biggest sporting news anywhere in the world, motorsport or otherwise. AFC Wimbledon got their first win of the season. <laughs> oh, dear. Yes. Against the mighty Chesterfield. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, more new, more Keeping It 101 stuff. We've got a couple more stories here. Um, Simona Di Silvestro. Turns out she's not going to be in Formula E next year. She's going to be in the... I keep wanting to call it the V8 Supercars. It's not the V8 Supercars anymore. It's just the Supercars Championship. Yep, just the Supercars. She is going to be in the Supercars Championship next year. We don't know with which team. We don't know with, you know, any teammates or whatever, which cars. I mean, next year is in a bit of a confusing state anyway because, like, Holden may not be existing. Ford aren't building the Falcon anymore. We're not sure which manufacturers are going to commit, but... I mean, King, this has got to be, this is a good sign. She's driven there. She's due to run the Bathurst 1000 again, along with Rene Gracie as part of the Harvey Norman Supergirls combo. They ran it last year. She was pretty much on the pace. She did all right. I mean, there was an early crash for that team that put them laps down anyway. So not too bad. I mean, at this point in her career, it's something completely different because, I mean, Formula E didn't seem to be going anywhere. Uh, IndyCar, she was doing all right sporadically. in Formula One, we know, was a dead end. I mean, this is as good a move as any for her career right now. Yeah, like it's... A spectacular deal. She'll be racing full time, and uh, from the press release from the Supercar Championship, it's a three-year deal. 
Wow, yeah, that is, that is good. And, and like alongside Holden committing to the championship with Red Bull Racing now being their new factory team, these are good signs for the Supercars Championship because, as I say, next year is where the V8 thing kind of goes away. They're going to allow different engines and different types of car in the championship. It's a big transitional year. Like, no one quite knows what's going to happen. So news like this, King, has got to be good in that there are teams and drivers committing to the series. Well, uh it's not really teams or like it's, it's definitely a driver Simona, but Simona's like this contracts directly with the championship, which is like something that's really strange for me because you never hear before like a driver signing a three year deal to race full time in a championship from the championship. Yeah, that is that is weird. I didn't know that was part of the the deal. So it's almost and like that's the why that's why they don't know where she's driving because she doesn't <laughs> have a team yet. She just she just has a three-year deal that she will be raising in the series somewhere. That's crazy. It would almost be like the Premier League signing a player from La Liga, like signing, I don't know, some major player like Lionel Messi and then be like, what clubs are you going to play for? we got no idea. <laughs> hey, Premier League clubs, any of you want him? We bought him for you. And you're like, okay, fine. But I guess maybe then it's it's on the supercars. Maybe the, the series themselves are kind of trying to paint a picture yeah. of stability and confidence going forward. Yeah. Well, like, I, part of me really likes this concept. Like, maybe, yeah. like, if, you know, a junior series like GP2 could do that, where they could, like, the entire, like, the entire field has a contract with the series themselves so the drivers don't have to worry about sponsorship. Yeah, that's that's not a bad idea. I like that. Like... It's going to be cool for her. I think, you know, she's was certainly on the pace at Bathurst. You know, V8, uh, the supercars and the V8 supercars variant were yeah. all, both of them are quite tough series. They're kind of like IndyCar, very difficult for rookies in general. Like you don't often get guys coming right out of the blocks and being amazing unless you name Scott McLaughlin. <laughs> um, you know, like even Shane Van Gisbergen had to do his time in the midfield for a few years. You know what I mean? So yeah. like it's it's the school of hard knocks. And I think maybe going in a different direction altogether might be a good way for De Silvestro's career because I kind of open wheel career felt like he had kind of stalled like she was getting something together in IndyCar went to F1 stalled completely was a complete dead end and then since then in Formula E it's it's just not worked yeah it's just not worked because I think like it's it's a weird thing about Formula E where people were worried about the like going into the championship before it started people were worried about the quality of drive for to actually compete in Formula E when like when it comes to driving talent like it's hard like very few series can it say they have a better like entire field in Formula E I'd probably say you know only F1 IndyCar and maybe GP2 have a better you know, quality of field than Formula E does yeah in terms of international credibility and an open wheel talent it's it's up there isn't it it's, it's basically uh who's who it's almost like um when you get the like when you get like team of the tournament for like the football world cup or something, if you get the reserve 11, it's kind of like that for formula one in formula E, like all of those drivers in formula E could probably cut it in formula one. Yeah. You know what I mean, I, and some of them, like, have if I had to make a weird comparison, I would probably like date it back to like maybe early two thousands truck series to formula E. That's what it feels like to me where it's like the guys who were like just a bit over the hill for formula one or the guys who just couldn't make the cut and or maybe one or two rising stars sprinkled in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it actually. Cause I used to like that about the trucks. It used to be a case where, Cup veterans would go to end their career. Guys like Bobby Hamilton, Johnny Benson, Mike Skinner, Ron Hornaday. And you'd also get the young guys coming up who'd definitely be in like the, 
uh, it would almost be like the school of hard knocks for them. So yeah, yeah. Formula E is really good. And I can testify having driven them on Forza Motorsport 6, which is a true indicator of race cars. <laughs> Very fun to drive as well. I can understand they, they're great fun to actually drive as cars. So Yeah, because electric uh, cars have that instant torque. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They're almost like oversized go-karts, the way they drive. Yeah. Um, speaking of Formula E, uh, King, you got a little bit of news for us based on uh, the Abt team that have been in the series the last few years. Of course, we know Abt always affiliated with Audi. It was only a matter of time before Audi themselves got involved in this venture, and um, they are. Yes. Uh, well, Audi and Abt have, had, have announced that starting next season, the 2017-2018 season, uh, Abt will be the factory Audi team. Wow, that is that's big news, and this all coincides with we were talking about this before we went live. The whole idea that Formula E, after this initial three-year first thing, where all the teams are based at Donington and everything's kept quite spec, it's going to start opening up after this season, isn't it? So, you know, it was teams are going to start moving away to like other bases. Like, just tell us how you think it's going to change things up after this initial three-year period. Yeah, after this three-year period where teams, number one, don't have to be based at Dunnington Park anymore, Formula E are kind of finding that a bit annoying, but also a bit helpful because, number one, they kind of don't want to test at Dunnington Park anymore because they feel like after, you know, two years of racing, they feel like Dunnington Park is not really representative of the circuits they actually race at. Yeah, that's a good point. It's like a permanent race circuit. It's nothing like the street circuits they race on for the most part. I forget. They they brought up a couple of alternatives in, I think, ooh, in Spain or or France of smaller circuits that that are more comparable to street circuits. Like the only problem, yeah. only problem at those circuits is mainly facilities and transportation because yeah. they're in the middle of nowhere. And for the teams, this is more appealing to manufacturers because they want their own base, their own facilities where they can really put 110% of these cars. And a lot of manufacturers are now getting really interested now that they don't have to be based in Donington Park. Like, yes, Jaguar have entered the sport for this season. BMW are very interested in joining Formula E. So it could really open up more manufacturers coming in, but it might really, you know, disadvantage the smaller teams who like being able to like being guaranteed the same facilities as, you know, Renault. I see what you mean. Yeah, it's it's it feels to me like this is the first three years where they wanted to keep things quite close in Formula E, keep things under control, get that solid first few seasons under their belt, which they have done. But it feels like after season three, that's it's almost like take the stabilizers off. You're on your own now, lads. <laughs> and I like, can my question to you, King, can Formula E survive a season if one team comes out and are as dominant as Mercedes are right now in Formula One? Could they survive that? Oh, like... I want to say yes, but I honestly don't know. And I'm a bit worried because it might be this year. Uh, that, yeah. So, like, even before the end of that three years, it could be <clears throat> there could be a big gap yeah, there. So. Because Sebastian Buemi and Renault have completely, like, decimated testing. Like, they. Wow. Yeah. Like, they are 
the hands down favorites to win this year's championship. Formally, it's harder to run away because you do have safety car periods. Like it's not like F1 where you're praying for a safety car to happen. Safety yeah. car, safety car, street circuits. You know, you're always going to get attrition. Yeah, yeah. So the problem is, is anyone going to be able to make the best of the opportunities to win when they get them? Yeah. So, like, and also, this is also not taking into account the fact that their support series for the next season is going to be robot drone racing effectively, <laughs> which if that goes too well, could probably dominate Formula E altogether and remove the need for drive. Anyway, not talking about the future. The future scares me. Um, like, I, I don't think I was here. Like, did you guys talk about robot race before? Because I don't know. I could actually no, I find so. it. I, I, I find the idea of AI racing a bit like interesting because you could actually like, Yes, you could program them to run the fastest line possible, but the fastest line could be two different lines and you could give them like you could you could give the cars gimmicks like one car being the quote unquote really aggressive car. Yeah, I mean, there's Lucas Degrassi was talking about this on Twitter because uh, he was like, oh, this is really exciting. And me and Dre both joked, what exciting that this thing could put you out of a job. And he kind of went, well, no, like all the gimmicks and that that people don't want in other racing series we could put in this and it was kind of it kind of felt like he was kind of condescending he's like hey there's a robot car that can do all the stupid gimmicks so we don't have to uh like no no i wouldn't say like gimmicks like racing style like i would say like wrestling style gimmicks like this being the super clean car (laughs) (laughs) the heel team yeah like like just play it up like like they're number one no drivers you know you have to control and monitor what they say. Like they're complete AI cars. You can, you can like, I still remember when Honda made like a Twitter accounts for their power units. <laughs> <laughs> Just there'll be people at the team bosses in the pit lane. who should be like, no drivers. It's all computers. Unlimited power. <laughs> like to be honest, this would be like Vince McMahon's wet dream. Like he doesn't have, he doesn't, <laughs> Ah, Team Roman Reigns confirmed. (laughs) Champions of the first Robo Reigns. Robo Reigns! There you go. (laughs) Robo Reigns. Robo Reigns. Oh, God, what have we started here? Should we we get into the show proper now? (laughs) I think we should. Hey, King. Yeah. King. Yeah. yeah. Guess what it is? What, what, is, what, is, <laughs> what is it? What is it? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It, finally, we've got an excuse to use that song on this show. Like, we've tweeted it out before just for Maverick Vinales doing something cool, like a poll or decent in practice or something. But, King, he's won a Grand Prix. The, he's, he's, the, this MotoGP season is absolutely... <laughs> Just pants on head bonkers. Like I, we've now I, had I, seven I had different winners myself, in the last seven races. I had to pinch myself to make sure it wasn't 2017 and he wasn't on a Yamaha. <laughs> yeah, like what on earth is going on? Like this is like for people who obviously if you don't know, we've probably given it away now. MotoGP this past weekend was at Silverstone for the British Grand Prix weekend, and we've had th- well, we've had three new winners in the past rounds before this. Those being, of course, Jack Miller in that mad race, Assen. Um, which the Ducatis won in Austria. Help me. 
Oh, the Ducatis one in Austria, yes. And yeah, which one was it? Who was it? Oh, oh God, it was Ian Oni. Was it? Was it? <laughs> no, no, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was Ian Oni. Yeah, 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 it was Ian Oni because he hadn't won before. Yes, so Ian Oni won in Austria, and then of course Cal Crutchlow took advantage of changeable conditions, <laughs> shall we say, out in Brno. So. And then we come to Silverstone and you think, ah, normality might be restored, except Crutchlow gets the pole because it was more mixed weather conditions. And then in the Race King, it was, well, we had two attempts at the race because the first one was curtailed after half lap after a scary crash for um, Loris Baz and um, uh, Alicia Spagaro, which was, I mean, there was a point where Baz was like, static on the track at some point that was not a good visual but he was just he's just not for a loop for a minute before the end of the restarted race he was tweeting hey i'm fine and you're like i love how you can be that casual about it because yeah. you scared us all half to death man like just but exploding obviously- bike parts everywhere <laughs> oh my god, god yeah and and the way they came across because it was into the was it the stow section very fast corners through there and they went across the grass and kind of the broken bikes came flying back on yeah. and he's sliding across the track and you're just like Please, no one hits him. Please, no one hits him. And he, yeah, but yeah, he was okay. Like, w- one of the things I was impressed about, like, um, uh, I think three or four guys have realized that he was going to come back across the track. So they're like, screw, we're just going to go through the runoff. Yeah, that was very, very good. Uh, that was that was good, good riding on those parts. So that it, the race was then restarted, much to the annoyance of Eugene Laverty, who was up to like second <laughs> by that point. Like literally, like had he managed to get a podium that weekend, just the entire MotoGP universe would have just been broken for the rest of time. But as it stood, we had a restart. And, well, I think Alex Lowe's is probably hoping to be the big kind of rookie sensation of the weekend by getting a point in, or uh, some points, I think, uh, in a stand-in ride uh, this weekend. Except um, Maverick Vinales had other ideas, King. Yes, (laughs) Maverick had other ideas. that This weekend was going to be his weekend where he kind of got out to a decent-sized lead when the restart came and just... The fight for second was just so intense that basically whoever was in second couldn't really focus on chasing Maverick down. And Maverick was, you know, quick as hell in his own right. But add that into like a huge scrap for second place. No one was catching Maverick. Yeah. And and this was the strange thing for me, King. Like, I mean, that battle for second was mesmeric and it was brilliant. You had Marquez and, and Rossi going at it. Um which prompted a hilarious line from Rossi in the post-race interviews about how, oh, well, now it's fine because, you know, I ain't, uh, we're both fighting for a championship, so that makes it okay, unlike <laughs> Sepang. And you're just like, oh. seriously, Rossi, I thought everyone else has just about got over it by now. But, like, uh, dr- ride, race drivers are like elephants. They never forget. You know? So that was quite funny to watch. Uh, we also had, I think, Pedroza was in there. But in the end, Cal Crutchlow prevailed out of all of them proving that the Bruno win was not a fluke. And he also got the pole. Like, and couple this with Vinales storming away and dominating the race on a Suzuki. King, I don't remember a time when MotoGP was this close. Like, for years, it was between basically three or four people, as in the Yamahas of Rossi and Lorenzo. And Lorenzo was anonymous in this race, which was strange. And the Repsol Hondas of Pedroza and Marquez. What's happened the last few weeks? Like, you can maybe say Miller and, and Crotchlow had the weather had something to do with it. You know, yeah, the Ducatis were OP at Austria, but this was genuine. Like, I don't think we've seen these big teams get dominated this much by quote unquote independent teams in a long time or the other the other teams. Yeah, like I would say it's a combination of a couple of factors where um well, like dominance in F1 is usually massive. Like the gaps are huge. Yeah, in yeah, yeah, yeah. MotoGP, I wouldn't say like the gaps between the haves and have nots are that big. I would say like 
I would compare it to like being on a knife's edge, but like someone's going to break through eventually. And usually yeah. it happens like, oh, this one race. And then maybe like five races down the line, someone else breaks through. It seems like over the past couple of weeks, it, it's all just coming in at once. Just just a massive just pile on. Yeah, it's like it's they're all coming in at once. Miller's one was the one who kind of really blew the doors open. Yeah. Uh, Crotchlow has been waiting for that first win for years, I think. I mean, his form in the past two races, King, really reminded me of that era back in 2013 with Tech 3 when he was like a constant podium threat. He was up there with the big guns every single race. Like, if, if you notice in the race, I think it was like six or seven laps to go, uh, going through, it was Cops and then into Magus and Beckett's within like those three corners, he overtook both <laughs> Valentino Rossi and Mark Marquez in the span of three corners. Yeah, he was just <laughs> flat flying. That is literally going to be the sort of clip that he's going to show to his grandkids in the in futures to come. This was the moment when Valentino Rossi, nah, forget it. Mark Marquez, keep up, fella. Like, it was incredible. This is brilliant stuff. And Vinales, I think, rode a really tactically smart race. He didn't override the bike at all. The battles behind, just you just spent the whole race. I mean, friend of the show, Lewis Sudderby, was there uh, uh, working as a, a press for the checkered flag. And of course, he'll probably talk about this on Bike Live as well. And I was talking to him about it. And he just said the entire vibe in the media center was, okay, well, soon Vinales is going to get caught up by everyone. And he never was. Yeah, like, as someone who's never really had, you know, control of the lead in a top-class Grand Prix before, Vinales showed that he was fully capable of, you know, being that guy on the lead bike. Yeah, man, and, like, this is this is interesting. I mean, uh, Dre made reference to this. They talked about this, of course, with, with him going to, to Yamaha next year to be Rossi's teammate. It's like... Uh, it's the old quote about Rossi. I think it goes something like, he he likes you and has respect for you until you start beating him. Yeah. And, I mean, he's going to be young. He's fiery. Now he's got that first win king. He's going to be full of confidence next year. And have Yamaha better be bracing themselves for a little bit of civil war here? Uh, I wouldn't call it... Like, even though it seems like he's almost i would say very similar to jorge lorenzo in terms of the way he rides from the lead i i wouldn't say it's rossi v lorenzo part two but maybe it's gonna happen rossi rossi is getting old he he's he may have proven that he's ageless many times before but (laughs) it's gonna reach a point where he really hits the wall yeah and i i don't know like i think this is probably a stretch beyond maybe what Vinales is capable of. But I wonder if we're going to see like a Hamilton Alonso dynamic next year. The experienced veteran, the guy who's he's used to leading the locker room over there, or you know, at least being the big gun over there. Young guy comes in, starts to put his nose out of joint. Yeah. I just wonder. I just wonder. It'll be interesting to see going forward, but certainly a, a really uh, entertaining main race uh, in the MotoGP, uh, the Grand Prix of Great Britain. Uh, in the support categories, King, you saw a lot more of this than I did. Uh, run us through the big talking points. There didn't seem to be that many, but there was a pretty big one from Moto2. Yes, Moto2 race, before I get to who won, the big talking point from that race was, uh, oh God, was it, it, I would say it was like part midway through the race. No, it was like, early stages of closing laps where it seemed like the battle for the podium was going to be between, you know, 
Johan Zarco and the beloved British Sam Lowe's and <laughs> going into, oh God, I, I don't remember. I think it was after the Wellington Strait where uh, <laughs> there it seemed like Zarco was going to make a move on Sam Lowe's on the inside. He braked, but did not seeming like he seemingly went to lean in for the corner and did not break and essentially just straight up took out Sam Lowe's. <laughs> yeah, this was a case of four wheels are potentially better than two, except they really weren't. This was this was a bit disastrous. And certainly, friend of the show, Rebecca James, that's not an enemy you want to make, Joanne. Just pro tip. <laughs> oh, and she was there as well. She was at Silverstone that weekend. How Zarco left the circuit alive, I'm not entirely sure. Mm. Like, that that situation, like... Johannes Zarco was able to, you know, continue on in the race and finish while Sam Lowe's was not so lucky and had to retire from the Grand Prix. Yeah, that was that was not a good thing. Not it didn't work out too well, did it? So uh, that was the big talking point from Moto2. Uh, Moto3? What was the feeling? Who won Moto2 in the end? Can Uh, you tell I only watched (laughs) MotoGP? It was a stacked day of racing on Sunday. I I do not apologize Th- for that. Thomas Ludy won. Thomas Ludy, yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, how about and- Moto3? That sounded like its usual anarchic self. Uh, oh, God, Moto3. I After watching, like, in the order of races I watched, I watched <laughs> MotoGP. Like, I watched them in reverse order. I watched MotoGP, Moto2, and Moto3. And I think Moto3 was the usual chaotic self, but the championship leader did win. Brad Bender for KTM did win the race over Francisco Balega. Well, Black. Yeah. Oh God, Bagnaya. Bagnaya. <laughs> like I, every time I look at his name, I'm like, I have to pronounce it a couple of times. And like, it's like he's that guy the Mahindra, right? Yeah, Bag Bag Bagnaya. <laughs> I think at first you called him Nicka Balega, didn't yeah, you? Yeah. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> but I realized, yeah, like, I mean, like that, that's a Mahindra, not a KTM. <laughs> that's yeah, fair enough. But um, that was it was uh, very entertaining. Uh, it was it was a good weekend of racing. It's quite funny. It's it's easily the smallest segment on tonight's show because good racing, but not a huge amount to talk about outside of that. Really, it was kind of a, a kind of a good weekend of racing, but all of it was on the track, which is no bad thing in a way. But we're not MotoGP experts, so we really can't dive into the nitty gritty of it. Unfortunately, <laughs> not so much. Yeah, Dre's Dre's gonna be sitting there tutting at this point in time. Um, <laughs> He's so going to be five, really... out of ten, five out of ten. See me after class. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a solid weekend of MotoGP racing. As I say, the big story the, from the main Grand Prix at Silverstone, Vinales' first win. This has been a this has been a crazy crazy year so far, and let's hope for more of those uh, first time winners. Um, and let's move on to. Naf, I don't want to talk about the F1 next. Let's talk about IndyCar. Let's talk about more good <laughs> racing. Oh God! No, no. Let's just let's just do F one, get it out of the way, and just move on. To Are you sure? Are you sure? Do F one, get it out of the way. All right, fine. Here's the F one. It doesn't even matter who's hosting the show these days. It's like, let's just look through the show order. Oh, the F1 bit's next. 
Oh, Christ. <sighs> like, I, mean, I haven't enjoyed talking about F1 in months. <laughs> like, it seems like, I don't know, my fallback to when F1 racing is terrible is on the off-the-track stuff. Like, the off-the-track, the off track, like, whether it be politics or, like, potential changes and stuff like that, it's just so engaging to me. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, and that's the theme to start off here in the Formula One segment because we're going to talk about the Italian Grand Prix in a little bit. <laughs> I made a funny joke saying that there was stuff to talk about from that race. Um, but first up, indeed, there was enough stuff to talk about off the track from Formula One, as is often the case. It's kind of like American politics, um, <laughs> but uh, or indeed British politics at this point. Um, so let's start off with two major silly season announcements uh, from the weekend. And they came from two drivers of a similar era. Basically, this kind of felt like a little bit of the end of an era coming upon us because first up, Felipe Massa announced he was retiring at the end of the season from Williams, uh, from Grand Prix racing altogether, therefore vacating his seat at Williams. So uh, that was pretty major news. That came out, I think, Friday or so. And then on Saturday, because I was actually at Dre's house for this one, uh, just as, as as we were hanging out and he was beating me at Forza 6 IndyCar, Um <laughs> Then came the Jensen Button announcement. Jensen Button uh, stepping aside from McLaren next year in what he calls a sabbatical. He still has a contract at McLaren, but basically, King, it appears that Ron Dennis is so paranoid of losing Stoffel Van Dorn that he must have gone up to Button and go, gone, uh, mate, do you mind if Van Dorn drives a car next year? I mean, you're still contracted to us. You're still a driver, but we don't have a car. Like, this doesn't seem like it was Button's choice. Yeah, it, it's like to me, it doesn't seem like it was Button's choice to a degree. Like, I have a feeling he could have gone to Williams, but Williams would not be as. William does not have as high as a competitive ceiling as McLaren does, and they certainly can't pay as much as McLaren can. <laughs> Yeah, that's very true. And and I mean, Button made a very sort of heartfelt statement about this. Um, he kind of said how, and it, it kind of reminds you that Button's been in this sport for far longer than we we seem to remember. He's been around since 2000. Yeah. And he's actually, by the end of the year, we worked this out, he is going to end up third on the all-time lists for Grand Prix starts behind Rubens Barrichello and and I think just ahead of Michael Schumacher, actually. Um so he, he's he's been around the sport a long, long time. People don't like. I think people he kind of rose to prominence in 2009 with that championship win for Braun. But people forget he was around for a long time. And he yeah. said, you know, he's been doing this for you know upwards of 17 years straight. He would kind of like to enjoy doing things on his watch for a change. You know, taking a little bit of time out. Um, King, do you foresee him doing much racing in this off in this sabbatical year? Which I think Dre's already calling the Mika Hakkinen sabbatical. Yeah, you know, like the I, one that's, that's the number one person I wanted to compare this to. Where I think it's, I, I don't think Button's going to do a lot of driving because he's still a McLaren Honda employee. There's not, there are not many places where he could be driving. <laughs> Unless he fancies British touring cars. Yeah. <laughs> the, Honda, the Honda factory team ran a third car earlier this year. Imagine that. Gordon Shen, Matt Neal, and Jensen Button. <laughs> oh, my God. Give me the new Nigel Mansell. But um, uh, I think the only thing I could see him doing maybe is a bit of Super Formula. Maybe some Super GT. Honda have a factory presence over there. He is pretty popular over in Japan. He's got a good, uh, you know, he's, he's well-liked over there. But I think otherwise, you're probably right, King. I think he's he's going to enjoy a little bit of downtime next year. And to me, I think this will end up at like the hack and sabbatical in that He's going to be, what, 37, 38 by the time he comes back in 2018? Yeah. Be Who's going to pick him up? Yeah, he's going to be 38 in 2018. And then he doesn't have the option of coming back. McLaren have the option of picking him up. So he, they could either keep him in his, you know, sabbatical position 
or, you know, pick up someone else and like pick up someone else instead of him and keep him in a sabbatical position. And apparently this is contingent on, you know, Alonzo leaving. Yeah, which is, uh, you know, I say doubtful in itself, but it's, you know, it's a, it's a big deal on that. Um, so it's it's all fascinating. Like, I just I feel like just they're so desperate to keep hold of of Alonzo in this scenario um, that there was no consideration that he'd even be the one step aside for Van Dorn here. But I mean, great opportunity for Van Dorn. I mean, basically, the, the moral of this movie is it was almost like a quasi Max Verstappen kind of movie in that if Van Dorn didn't get a seat in McLaren next year, he'd get a seat somewhere else. Yeah. And I mean, he's shown already he's more than ready. I mean, come on, this kid's been ready for two seasons now at the very least. Because it was, it was more a situation like if we don't pick up, if we do keep button, Van Dorn's going to be a free agent and there's an open seat at a decent team. Yeah, definitely. So it's, I mean, let's talk a little bit about that free spot on Williams now. I mean, first up though, I mean, to me, I kind of get a vibe that this is almost like the end of an era, King. You know, Button effectively retiring, but not. Massa retiring. I mean, the only guys left from that sort of late 90s, early 2000s generation that me, you, and, and Dre and this kind of, you know, we all got into Formula One. The only guys kind of left actively racing from that generation are Alonso, Kimi Raikkonen, and... and That's it. <laughs> maybe you consider... Maybe you consider... Lewis Hamilton, but even then, no, I mean, Rosberg, no. Hamilton have been around since 06, 07, but even then, like, it's that early to mid 2000s generation. Yeah, it's like, if you, it, it, to me, if you debuted in 2006, you're pretty much a new kid. Like, if, if yeah. you were there in Michael Schumacher's, I mean, first, last season, you're, you know, a young. Yeah, basically. <laughs> even like though they're starting to get up there in age. Yeah, like, I mean, Hamilton's. Is he is he in his thirties now? I think he's going to be thirty one. Yeah, he already is thirty one. Yeah, fact. he's thirty one. So yeah, it's it's hard to hard to believe in itself, but it's kind of weird how that generation's kind of gone away now. Like Yano Trulli's uh, retired, Fisichella's not a thing anymore. Barrichello obviously retired a few years ago as the all time record uh, for. Grand, uh, Grand Prix starts on 326. I've got the list in front of me. Button has a chance, potentially. I'm trying to do the maths in my head of how many rounds we've got left this year. Um, if he doesn't start another Grand Prix after next year, then I think he either ties or just goes ahead of Michael Schumacher on 308. Button's currently on 301. Yeah. And we're, I think, in terms of ages, I know Nico Rosberg is 31. Uh, Romain Grosjean is 30. Like... The drivers are starting to get older. The drivers are certainly starting to get older. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if they're just hoping that Max Verstappen will just do enough work to balance out the average. He just sort of breaks the average the other way. <laughs> um, also, just uh, before we we move on from this one, you had we had all sorts of theories about this, of course, uh, with Jensen. You know, why was this Jensen Button's choice? Is, is he retiring? Blah 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 blah. Someone else apparently had quite an interesting theory on this. Now, I didn't catch this. So I'm curious to to hear it from you. Oh, uh, well, during the six hours of Mexico broadcast on Radio Le Mans, I was listening in and our, well, I would say my quasi hero, John Heindahl, has, <laughs> has speculated, speculated on the place where Jensen Bunn could go, where he kind of 
talked about, you know, Honda not having an LMP1 program. Uh, LMP2 doesn't seem to be a possibility because of, you know, the whole spec thing and they can't brand the engines as quote unquote Honda engines. Yeah. And then, you know, talked about the NXX not being a Jeep. GP, I mean, GT3 car, so it wouldn't be eligible for the WEC. Then he talked about maybe Super GT, or like maybe they could work out a deal where he could race for another team in the WEC, and just like this whole like just weird thing saying that button and sports cars is going to be a thing. <laughs> well, I mean, he's called Specutainment for a reason. Um, <laughs> And, I mean, to be honest with you, I don't think that's too far-fetched. I mean, I made the Super GT comparison straight away. Honda are a factory presence over there. Um, he certainly, I think, be good enough over there. So, And he's well-liked over there as well. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what he does next. Or maybe he just sits home and kicks back and has a beer. Yeah, like he's, he's he still, deserve. He still works for McLaren. He can still, he, he still drive the car during race weekends. <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. And he he apparently said he'd be doing some simulator work for them still. So he's still going to be involved in some way. But I think basically after this year, uh, Button's Formula One career, I'd be surprised if it picked up again after this year. I think the sabbatical is going to be a Hakkinen uh, thing. And yeah. just before we, we move on from silly season talk, what about that spare seat of Williams? I mean, uh, at this point in time, I mean, Sergio Perez appears to be more and more staying at Force India. There's now news yeah. that one of his Mexican sponsors are actually buying out the team. So for well, Williams, it's like it appears his, to be... It's his Mexican spot. Like, it's, what, it's the richest man in the world buying Force India. Wow. So yeah, this Carlos is not just Slim. one of these Mexican sponsors. This is a, this is a game changer, yeah, <laughs> potentially. Like, potentially. Like, Carlos Slim is really... He, he's Carlos Slim has really been into racing, and he's he's sponsored every Mexican driver you've probably seen in the last 10 years. Ah, uh, I see. I was, I was trying to work out which... It's Telmex, yeah, of course. Telmex. There you go, yeah. Whenever any Mexican's been driving anywhere... Like Memo Rojas, I think, had the Telmex all over his, his car, and that Perez has always done so, Gutierrez. So, yeah, you're correct. And now, if he's potentially buying up Force India, that suddenly turns Force India from, oh, they're doing quite well, in spite of never seeming to have much money, to, oh, now they do have money. Yeah. Right. It's, it, it, I don't know. I want to say it's a knock-on of Gene Haas proving that maybe you can use F1 as essentially an advertising space if you have an outside business telmex is basically has a monopoly over like telecommunications in mexico and they're also one of the biggest providers in latin america so it could really yeah. be a good thing if they if telmex actually owns an f1 team instead of just sponsoring a driver <laughs> yeah that'd be pretty big it'd almost be like a sort of red bull scenario where you you go the whole hog take over take over a whole team and it really ups the brand yeah, from there so it'd be interesting to like, see what also another weird like subplot to this maybe Hulkenberg just moved to a top team without even changing seats maybe he's uh, sometimes it's funny how <laughs> things work out Do you, maybe yeah. maybe he saw what was coming maybe Sergio was like hey Nico you might want to stick around here why no reason <laughs> maybe a little bit of that happened who knows who knows that'll be that'll be interesting to talk about but the main contenders for the Williams seat at the moment appear to be well one of them appears to be who the internet wants to get the seat the other one is who the internet doesn't want to get the seat both of them are talented both of them are young both probably have a decent amount of money but one of them rather a lot more than the other the internet's choice yes. is Alex Lynn 
seemingly the slightly more likely one because of just sheer amounts of wedge, Lance Stroll. I don't know. I, I'm I'm very, very like I I'm not like the internet like straight on hates Lance Stroll. I I'm like mixed feeling about about Lance Stroll. Like from oh, what I've seen of like, him, he's been pretty good, and that's limited to this year's Daytona 24 Hours. But he was in one of the Ganassi Daytona prototypes, was turning laps as fast as anyone out there, and was pretty smooth. Like he wasn't. I know he crashed on his first outlap in practice, but after yeah, that, best practice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. a gimme. Well, like Lance Stroll is a good driver. He's like part of me part of me wants to say he isn't ready for F1. Like <sighs> I mean he he'd be another teenage driver going straight from Formula 3 into Formula 1 and we're seeing how that's working out for Max Verstappen yeah. which is mixed, I'd say. Mixed like in terms of ability Max Verstappen was definitely ready. In terms of maturity, Max Verstappen was definitely not ready. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you fear a similar thing with Stroll then? Yes. Like, Stroll will be 18 next year. And yeah. I don't know. It, it's He's good. He's a quick kid. Formula 4, Italian champion, 2004. Uh, he won the, you know, off-season Toyota Racing Series in New Zealand. He's, you know currently leading the formula three european championship he's clearly quick but he's definitely had things he's definitely the silver spoon is the real thing where he like <laughs> he completely decimated the ferrari driver academy like he he quit the cat he quit the academy and hired the academy's director as his own personal like director <laughs> <laughs> yeah this is a guy with oh, this is what what uh his, his, isn't his dad like the biggest Ferrari de- dealer in Canada? Yeah, he's the biggest Ferrari dealer in Canada. He also, oh God, I know he owns uh, he owns Montreblanc. Oh, okay. The entire... Um, yeah, he owns the, the racetrack. Entire... He owns the racetrack, Montreblanc. Yeah. And I like he got his money investing in, you know, fashion lines like Ralph, Ralph Lauren and Tommy Hilfiger. Yeah, so that's, I mean, but this, it's straight, I mean, it's the modern paradox of Formula One, isn't it? It's not like, it's like, oh, that guy's only got in because money, money trumps talent. Well, implying yeah, that yeah. anyone I on mean, the Formula One grid skin. I mean, he isn't a millionaire son, though. He's a billionaire son. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, even for the rich man's world of Formula One, this is rich, rich, rich. Yeah, it's like, this is serious amounts of money here. So, do it, you expect him to get the seat ahead of Lynn? Ahead of, like, like i want to say that on paper that they're fairly equal drivers like what lynn lacks in raw ability he makes up with an experience and lance stroll it's probably the you know the opposite where stroll lacks in experience he makes four up in raw talent like i'd say they're similar on paper but you know lance stroll being that billionaire's kid it, it really as williams a team that's you know strapped for cash I would say Lance Stroll. I'd pick Stroll. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Williams have kind of stalled out in that sort of best of the rest category. They were comfortably there in 2014, but Ferrari and Red Bull's sheer spending power seems to have kind of left them behind. This year, they're in danger of falling behind Force India as well. So it may be that that's too much to resist. Uh, it'll be interesting to see going forward. Uh, just before we finally get talking about <laughs> the race... <laughs> Um, we have a little bit more silly season news to do, but it's not so much a transfer between teams. It's a transfer of the entire ownership of F1. King, talk to us a bit about this. 
Yes, apparently uh, FOM are on the brink of being sold from CVC to basically, I would want to say, a conglomerate led by uh, Liberty Media, which is basically uh, an American broadcasting group where... I think they have some interest in Europe, but largely they're known here in the States. They own the Discovery Channel, and they also own a decent share in DirecTV, which is a satellite so, cable provider, kind of like Sky. Yeah, so some serious money coming into this one. Uh, annoying. Well, the internet's rather annoyed to find out today that Bernie Eccleston appears to be staying on for three further years, despite this takeover, which... Which is obvious. Just to the point like, people have, <laughs> Yeah, like, don't. I, I just never got my hopes up because Bernie Eccleston is immortal. I fully expect him to still be in charge of F1 in 50 years' time, but he'll be rolling around on the grid in one of those, like, jar head things from Futurama. <laughs> yeah, I fully expect that to be a thing, but, like, I never got my hopes up that this would be, oh, it's the end of Bernie at last. Nah, like, it's not going to happen. No one has the amount of experience when it comes to running a major international formula, like, international motorsport no. championship. I mean, ever. there were rumors of Alejandro uh, Agag from Formula E being the guy getting in there but i'm sorry two pretty decent years of formula e probably <laughs> that's that's a little bit raw going um, into formula one yeah it's like the the only other like person i would say who could run formula one is probably you know dorna who run moto gp like besides that no yeah. one has had comparable experience bernie has been doing this for 30 for over 30 years now <laughs> Yeah, he's going to be the Vince McMahon of that organization. He's only leaving Formula One probably when he passes away. Yeah. Like he's, I think he's going to be just stuck there, you know, for, for most of the time. So, um, I mean, I think, Agag, we were talking about this beforehand, how it's funny how many rumors spread on the internet just because people want them to be true rather than if they're yeah. actually going to. And I think the Agag one moving from Formula E to F1, that was just like, one that the internet wanted I would say the, the only bit of truth that has is that, you know, uh, Bernie Eccleston, believe it or not, Bernie Eccleston and Alex Agag are like good friends. Like they've worked together in the past. Like they both co-owned Queen P Park Rangers together. That's very true. That's very true. So, I mean... Is it possible for the future? Yeah, maybe yeah, just in the future. Not for now, but. Like it's it seems like where they're going with this deal that it's gonna be Bernie working along with uh with an American. It's Chase Carey, a, a TV executive here in the States. Uh like for the longest he was CEO a uh, COO of 20, 20th Century Fox, which is uh Strangely enough, a subsidiary of News Corp, just like how Sky is a subsidiary of News Corp. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> because everything is a fucking subsidiary of News Corp these I mean, days. I, I think I think this is strangely like around like I know a couple years ago it was the same year as the news of the world scandal broke. That's why the deal fell apart. That Sky was going to buy <laughs> Sky yes. was going to buy FOM. <laughs> I heard about that. Yeah, that's yeah, that was something that happened. I mean, it's it's it was plausible, but yeah. again, I think something it was just like someone put two and two together, wanted it to make five, and just reported it. Oh no, no, but, it, um, it was going to happen. Then it was legit. It was yeah, kind of like was, the Audi to F1 rumor. It was legit, but it got derailed by the news of the world scandal. Ah, uh, in the same way the Audi to F1 thing got derailed by the emission scandal in yes. America. So yeah, so, scandals yeah. coming out at bad times. Not. Uh, I mean, just one more thing on this. Do you th how do you think this is going to... Do you think this ownership change is going to drastically change the outlook on Formula 1? Do you expect it to? Uh, I would say, like most things in terms of corporate ownership, 
a change in ideology is usually moves at a like a glacial pace. You'll notice it, but yeah. it'll take it'll take some time. Like they want to do like I know Liberty Media wanted like Americanize the way F1 is sold because the way it is now, Bernie is kind of hands off when it comes to marketing. Like believe it or not, FOM does not have a marketing department. <laughs> Which is like, <laughs> which is like unbelievable in the twenty first century. Like they expect the, the teams most more series in the world does not even have a marketing department. That sounds about right. They they expect the teams to market the sport, which is like strange because teams don't own any stake in the sport at all. Which they all, which the new owners want to change. They want to make sure the teams have, you know, a stake in the sport. So, number one, um, they have a stake in the sport being actually competitive and watchable. And two, they actually get money when the sport is profitable. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I don't I think the thing is, this is fairly big news, but I mean, I, I don't expect drastic change coming out. I think people will hope there to be drastic change because I think there's a feeling that Formula One is just it's just very uh what's the word rather stale at the moment and like it just kind of doesn't really it's struggling to connect with a younger audience i mean has made it clear he doesn't care about them so yeah i mean it's the new owners like if i had to compare it to like something you know it's probably nascar where it's like all the all the sports leagues in the states do it but i've never seen one for f1 where uh Sports leagues here in the U.S. actually air their own commercials. Like, if you ever watch any IndyCar broadcast, you usually see a commercial for IndyCar, which is a bit strange in itself. Yeah, it's like, I'm already watching the show. You don't have to sell it to me all over again. Yeah, like, those ads show up in other places besides the races. So, like, usually the sport themselves here in the States advertise themselves. Yeah. And that does not happen for Formula One. No, not at all. So I, I think they've just they've kind of coasted on because they're comfortable enough. It's the biggest motorsport series in the world. They just they don't need to do this sort of thing. But um, I think that's it's it's going to be interesting to see if there's anything changing going forward. Any sort of perceptions? I mean, look, esports are doing big things right now. They're linking up with Formula E in that sort of respect. And there's you know there's there's a lot, drone racing is huge at this point. It's, it's going yeah. big at this point in time. Like but, yeah. I but, think Formula One is it's to cool. Yeah, like it's weird because another thing that I like to connect to this is the Fox mentality when it comes to sports broadcasting for, for, for sports broadcasting for Fox, it usually broadcast quality is the top. Like, like if you've ever watched American football with like the yellow, uh, the yellow first down line, like the things that are like ubiquitous with American football. Fox invented that. Like they got the rights to the NFL and they did not have the highest bid. Like the NFL gave them the rights because they thought they would be the best broadcaster for the sport. Yeah. So I, it's, it's potential. I mean, uh, what, what do you say F1 at this point? I mean, certainly nothing we're going to say is going to change the state of play, but yeah. I think uh, the, it's, it's, it's hopeful. It's hopeful. It's not, it's not, <laughs> It's not going to be like guaranteed it's going to get better, but the potential is there. Hope is all F1 fans need <laughs> oh, at this point. God. I've adopted Dre's cynicism and I kind of see why. If he's had to present 55 episodes talking about bloody Formula One, I can kind of see why. <laughs> but um, <laughs> And me just and trying to be can... like, it's, it could get better. It, could get better. it, it might do. It, it, it might improve, but I tell you what, this conversation is not going to improve because we've got to talk about the race. <sighs> 
<laughs> like, yes. I'd love to just go, well, the Italian Grand Prix. <sighs> Moving and it's on. Like, my guy won. <laughs> yeah, your guy won. And you're still like, eh, we've got to talk about it. Yeah, unfortunately like, we have. My guy not only won the race, but surprisingly also won driver of the day. <laughs> Like you should be, you should be stoked about this. I mean, I assume you were stoked at the time. Yeah, I was. I was. I was actually more surprised he won driver of the day than that race. I think honestly, with you, on days where someone dominates and wins easily, especially if it's Rosberg, people are like, "Oh well, who down the field did something cool?" Uh, probably either Rio Arianto or Max Verstappen. But I, the Italian Grand Prix was so dull that not even anything in the midfield kind of livened it up. No, like... I mean, this was another race that was over by turn one, as they mostly have this year. I mean, the interesting point was, of course, Lewis Hamilton blowing the start, as he has done a few times this year. Rosberg takes advantage, profits. Hamilton's down to fourth, but within five laps, we're kind of going, oh, can Hamilton get back to second? And it was like, well, yeah, they're already half a second a lap quicker on softs compared to everyone else on super softs. They are broken levels of OP, at yeah. this track, like more so than normal, like more so than Spa, more so than anywhere else. It's like I said it last week. I still find it funny that people were surprised that Lewis Hamilton made the podium in Spa. I'm like, was I the only one who wasn't? <laughs> He's like, driving a Merc. Like yeah. you could probably start and have a sandwich in the pits before the race and still finish on the podium. Like the only series where, like in any other series, it would be like the death knell. Like you completely, you know, either having to start from the back would be like, yeah, you're probably not going to win this yeah and like it's just oh like this race was just i mean it's it's tricky like it's hard to say i mean i've pitched before the idea of balance of performance in f1 but i feel to me king like to get even there you need to sort of make a decision on what f1 needs to be if it is purely a kind of technical arms race which it appears to be the direction they're going in for 2017 with massive wings and huge tires and yeah, we're already complaining about dirty air. Y'all have no right to moan about it more when it inevitably gets worse next year. <laughs> yeah. So, like, when I, when I heard that, oh my God, they're getting bigger tires, I was like, yes. And they were like, they're also adding downforce. I'm like, why? <laughs> the one thing they don't need to add. Like, IndyCar is just sitting there like, guys, we think we've got problems with dirty air. At least we can, you know, still overtake. I mean, we'll get to IndyCar in a bit, but like at Watkins Glen, they were all like, ah, oh, passing's going to be difficult but it still happened in abundance and so they, like just random indycar note at least they were able to like acknowledge when they made mistakes like they acknowledge that yeah the arrow kits were kind of a bad idea <laughs> yeah they kind of listened to the drivers like after long beach this year that drivers were queuing up to take a massive dump on the arrow kits they were like yeah this this ain't working and the <laughs> series were like yeah you know what you're right like 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 when F1 makes a mistake, they go to like Montreal screw job levels of, yeah, we meant for this to happen. <laughs> you guys wanted this. <laughs> the team screwed the teams. <laughs> yeah. And they, like when it comes to F1, there's never like a, a voice, there's never like a voice or like a press officer or official state. There's no like leader of the locker room. Yeah, there, is there? there isn't like saying that. There isn't like a leader out there saying that we want F1 to be X, Y, and Z, and this is how we're yes. going to achieve X, Y, and Z. Yeah, like at least NASCAR has a sort of clarity in that like, hey, we kind of want it to be more like gimmicky and stuff and like be more blah, you know, like I don't even know. But like you can kind of see their through line, do you know what I mean? That yeah. Like at least if you understand what they're going for, their decisions make sense, even if you d you don't have to like most yeah, of yeah, them. Yeah, you, you know what their motives don't. are. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. We know exactly what their motives are with stuff like caution clocks and the chase, eliminations and blah. But in F1, there just doesn't seem to be any logic. Like, surely the way to go for next year would be get the cars racing better. Like we were talking before the show about Champ Car in the mid-2000s. A superb series, exciting cars, great-looking cars, not much downforce over the top. And, like, we we talked about this before. Like, people romanticise about the V10 era, and we say, well, there wasn't much overtaking in the V10 era, but... You look at those cars, they were pretty smooth. It was only in like 2005, 06, 07, which they just sprouted winglets out of every pore and became dirty air monsters. Yeah, like, like I think it's, I want to say it's like a commonly said thing because I hear it all the time where engineers say that if we, if we knew back in like 93 what we knew now, the cars would not look like that. No, of course. So it's, I mean, it's something we've been just coming back to like time and time again. Um... And it just drove it home to me. Like, it's. Dre's made this point on the show before, and we were talking about this Saturday before the race even happened. Mercedes at this point are far and beyond any level of dominance that Red Bull achieved in their 2010 to 13 glory years. Like, I'm sorry, at least other teams had a chance of winning. Like, it must be so depressing being a Ferrari or a Red Bull driver right now because they've basically got to go, well, unless the Mercs crash, third's the best we can hope for. And as a race driver, when you're programmed to do nothing but want to win, it's gotta be so demotivating. Yeah, and especially every weekend when the when the press go out there and say, "Oh, this other team has a chance of winning." When it when it seemingly more and more, didn't. it's just like complete BS. Yeah, they just didn't like coming into this race. It was like, "Oh, can Ferrari stop Mercedes?" No, and it became obvious five laps in that no one had. Like Ferrari went for two stops in this race. They went two stop strategy, two stints on super soft tires. Even when they were on the super softs, they weren't faster than the Mercs on soft tyres. It was only at the end of the Mercs stint on softs. They then one-stopped, went on to mediums, and still the Ferraris couldn't catch them. <sighs> this is broken levels of OP. Like, this is, I mean, I mean, it was quite funny how I was going on about how, well, at least the IndyCar race should be closer, and then thanks, Scott Dixon. But, I mean, we can at least say Scott Dixon's just, he has dark powers. He's a magician. But, like, this is just... Uh, and it's frustrating because at the start of the year, we at least thought, well, new tire regulations can create some more interest. But especially over the summer, King, it just it's it's like any sort of vague hope of the gap being closed has just gone away again. Now, like over the summer, it seems like the gap has actually increased. <laughs> it's it's increased out again. And it's it's a shame in that respect. I mean, during the race, I think we we're all sort of going. So, guys, what about potentially taking the Italian Grand Prix to Mugello or Imola or something? And. <laughs> The problem is at this point, it's, and I don't like people going, when people moot alternative tracks going, oh, well, they'll be dirty air, no passing. Yeah, what? You mean like half the calendar already? <laughs> yeah, it's like when you realize like, oh. It doesn't matter where they go. The thing is, like, dirty air is not a circuit-to-circuit problem. It's a car problem. No, it is a car problem, blatantly. And I mean, IndyCar have kind of proven this in that, like, they go to tracks which are supposedly going to be difficult for these cars to pass. And even though they're complaining of dirty air, they still make it work. You know, they go to places like Mid-Ohio and Barber. Like, if you went there in F1, <laughs> it would just be... It would be like... That. Wasn't there a race in 2003 where there was no on-track passes at all? Yes. Like something like that? There was a, there was a yeah, race... Yeah, it would be like two, that. 2009 was the most recent race where there was no overtakes. Oh, there you go. When yeah. they cut back on Dirty Air, supposedly. Yeah, there was... Goodness me. It was, surprisingly enough, the, the first year, like, the first year that, like de-arrowed cars but the year before DRS and there were zero overtakes during the 2009 European Grand Prix 
Wow. Well, that was Valencia, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Valencia. God, that was awful. I hated that track. That was god awful. Um, the only the only fun memory I have on that is dive bombing the shit out of Kobayashi on F1 2010 in my career mode race. That was it. Literally, nothing oh, else. Otherwise, my, my fondest memory of Valencia is when Bernie Eccleston shipped all their barriers to New York City and tried to invest thirty million dollars into getting that race in New Jersey started. That's my fondest memory of Valencia. <laughs> That's literally all it was. <laughs> it's like, thanks for so, your barriers, guys. <laughs> yeah, that was it. And literally, there's some creepy photos of some of the abandoned bits of the Valencia track out there. Yeah. Like, it's it's on those great, like, kind of overgrown racetracks sort of thing. But, uh, yeah, well, I mean, I've literally got here, literally, what else is there to talk about? Nothing race. There's literally, from the race itself, there's two points to take away. Number one, this was another example of Lewis Hamilton limiting the damage, which I believe has been what helped him win the championship last year. Uh, King, what do you think on this? I mean, like, it just feels to me that even if Lewis Hamilton has a bad day, he still finishes second or third. Yeah. And when Rosberg has a bad day, he DNFs, finishes down the field. I mean, look at Hockenheim. Like, he, what was it, fit fourth in the end? Fourth, fifth, British Grand Prix, similar. Like, do you think it's going to go the same way this year? Yeah, like, I think I say this about IndyCar all the time. Like, a championship is pretty much won on your worst days. Yes, absolutely. And it feels to me like Lewis Hamilton's worst days are not as bad as Rosberg's. And that's all that's splitting them because once again, Rosberg's won a race. So guys, let's wheel out the, oh, well, it wasn't him. It wasn't his actual talent. It wasn't his car. It wasn't his strategy. No, it was Lewis Hamilton cocking up the start, which in itself wasn't Lewis Hamilton's fault because it was clearly a hack from Mercedes, guys, or some bollocks like that. So all the narrative, 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 blah, once again, failing to give credit to a guy who's the winningest driver in F1 history, never to win a world championship, has won many more races than people who have won world championships. And if Lewis Hamilton was not God tier at this point, would probably have been world champion multiple times over. Yeah, like one person I do have to admit kind of impressed me during that race was Valtteri Bottas and like his drive to just try to hold back the impending doom of Lewis Hamilton yeah he that was quite that was quite good in a way like he was pretty impressive and he was also indirectly responsible for one of the other great moments with the probably the one memorable moment of the race which was Daniel Ricciardo's pass on him late in the race now King, I've got to admit, I didn't get the best view of this because it was late in the Grand Prix and I realized the FIA World RX final was on from their event in France. So I kind of switched over to that. And then when I tapped back, everyone was screaming about Ricardo's pass on Bottas. So was it as good as people are saying? Uh, I'd say if I had to rate it out of 10, where 10 would be like Bottas at like Kota, <laughs> Kota during his first couple, I think second season. I would say I would say it was maybe like an eight. Like it it was it was really really good. I I like I would I would say as many really goods as I can without saying it was great. So yeah, I mean it was pretty decent. I think to be honest with you, it probably the race was at that sort of level of Christ, can it be over now? <laughs> that, the, that anything would be great. <laughs> Like, literally, somebody tweeted me during the race just saying to me, oh, you're on fire today. And it's just because I was just tweeting every few minutes, just joke gifts. And I was just like, well, to be honest, it's the only thing keeping me awake in this race. Yeah. It just, oh. It do, just, do I, I mean. I do have to admit something. The most exciting race of the weekend, GP2 Sprint Race. Oh, my God. Yes. Like, just, did just watch- that one accident. Sergio Canavas is getting taken out. <laughs> Goodness me. Yeah. Yeah. I, I heard about that one. I saw some of the uh, the race on Saturday afternoon over at Dre's. Uh, that was it was good stuff. It was good racing. I, that was that was enjoyable. And again, 
proof that it's not the track, it's the cars. Yeah. Because I still believe Monza can be a good racetrack. I joked about it being a glorified oval, but uh, it, it's no point speculating as to where the Italian Grand Prix could go from here because you'd have the same problem there. So, yeah, well, they already confirmed that it's going to be at Monza next year. Monza is signed. They did confirm that, so any, any... Oh, <laughs> funny thing. Story comes out. Apparently, Imola's suing Monza now. <laughs> Only in F1, guys. Imola suing Monza for the race that it never had in the first place. Or it might have done. I, I don't even know. Yeah. Just shenanigans all over the place. But, um, like, the only thing I've got left to say from F1, really, I don't know if you've got anything else, uh, the podium. Very interesting, a strange podium. I mean, we're, we're used to vocal, loud crowds at Monza. Vettel making the podium for Ferrari. Of course, everyone's blowing up for him. They're going nuts. They're treating him like a rock star. And then your boy Nico Rosberg, who's been de facto heel the past few weeks, he's, he's been getting the Roman Reigns heat, being booed despite being an overwhelming babyface. Um, <laughs> and he turned the crowd face on him. He, he yeah. turned face on the crowd. He, he started singing the White Stripes tune that was made popular at the last few football tournaments. You know, the Seven Nation Army thing. And he got people onto him. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> I think I shared it on Twitter before. Somebody actually said it to the song. <laughs> Hey, that's what you need to do. Like, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure editing Adam. If you're listening to this, you better have made a funny jingle for that for the start of the show. <laughs> but, oh uh, god! Like, I I think like that the fans booing Rosberg was more about the state of the sport itself than Rosberg actually winning. Like everyone yeah, like saying, "Oh, you shouldn't boo the drivers." And like, for, to me, they're not really booing the drivers. <laughs> It's it's a it's a sense of frustration, yeah. I think Vettel came to sort of s- symbolize, but it's it's kind of strange how Hamilton just does not get these reactions even when he's winning. So it must be a partisan thing this time around. I think in 2013 it was partly a frustration. Oh Christ, Vettel's won again, great. But it was, still was not justified then. Uh I just I don't know, I'm not I'm not about people taking out their frustrations on the series over a driver. It's a bit like yeah. how People seem to claim that Jimmy Johnson was killing NASCAR in the late 2000s. <laughs> yeah, that Jimmy Johnson was boring and corporate. Yeah, get out of here. Which I I think he kind of turned on its head quite nicely in the last few years, which was um, yeah, pretty fun to see. But like uh, for me, it almost felt like the podium passion and everything and everyone going nuts about that. Like that was almost enough to justify the race for people. And I was like, oh, well, I'm glad we sat through 90 minutes of non-racing for pretty cool podium i guess i guess like <laughs> like you can get that anywhere just like hey three formula I mean, one Britain drivers are about to be in yeah. this location at this set time just show up and see them <laughs> like you yeah, i mean you, know, you would get a crowd of people if you did that yeah i mean the british grand prix had an had an energetic podium had a passionate podium so it doesn't even appear to be an italian grand prix thing now uh final point on that really of course yeah rosberg wins it hamilton second vettel third some other stuff happened. Um, basically, I didn't even have the comfort of my boys doing quite well. At least in Spa, I had my boys finishing fourth and fifth, Perez and Hulkenberg. But this time around, not so. Um, so, yeah, the last thing to say, really, two down to two points in the title race. Hamilton still has a slight advantage. Um, it's still... it just You just get this feeling, King, don't you, that, as you say, Hamilton 
is still going to have better worst days than Rosberg. So yeah. do you still do you think this past few weekends have been a bit of a misnomer? Uh, I wouldn't say a misnomer at all. I'd still say the state of things is fairly the same, but I would say as as Johnny Football or Johnny Manziel would say back in his actually I was good at Texas A&M days where he's like, <laughs> it doesn't matter what the score on the scoreboard is at halftime. It's still a zero, zero game. I have that feeling where Rossberg still like, it's still fairly, you know, it might as well be a zero, zero game heading into the, you know, the, fl- the closing season flyaways. Yeah. It's, uh, it's going to be, it's, I don't know. It's, it's going to be, I think he needs another weekend where Hamilton trips up and Rosberg takes full advantage. Yes. But it's, it's going to need a weekend. Like Singapore could be interesting in that respect because I don't expect Mercedes to be as bad there two years in a row because last year they were shocking. Um, but that was a classic example. Hamilton had technical problems and Rosberg just was not able to capitalise. I think he finished, what, fifth, sixth, something like, something like that. Just not a good race at all. Yes. So I think he needs a. We need a big swing at this point. We need Hamilton to not just have a bad start and then still finish second or third. It <laughs> needs to be like a DNF yeah, at this point. You're gonna need a DNF, like uh, just a single DNF on either driver's part will just blow the lead for either driver wide open. Yeah, and I mean people forget last year that it was so close until Rosberg had a miserable run of luck going into Kota. I mean the the the, the throttle issue was it a throttle issue in Sochi and in Russia? Yeah, yeah. It was it was either a throttle issue or break by wire. It was one of the two, but uh, just the Merc cars have been getting more and more reliable, which is like weird to say. Yeah, so it's very strange in itself, but uh, that's about as much as we can squeeze out of Formula One this week. It was kind of like getting blood out of a stone, so... <laughs> Let's um should we talk about should we finally talk about the segment that we've wanted to all 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 show? Yes, it's, it's like, should we get to the main event now? <laughs> yeah, it's 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 our you know bowl of ice cream after having a dinner full of asparagus. <laughs> Best way of putting it. Yeah, it's like having like bread. Just bread on bread. And now we get to the Cake. to the Oh, the, the kind of lush ultimate chocolate challenge Sunday. Which was IndyCar, where the cool kids hang out. So, IndyCar then, the main event of tonight's show, and the series we kind of desperately were hoping would live up to some sort of hype after Monza and it pretty much did this was a strange week uh, I say strange weekend going into it was a little bit odd because this was the race that was supposed to be in Boston Boston on the streets yep. of um but that kind of went away but luckily it kind of the, the the track that stepped in was one that we all wanted IndyCar to go back to anyway and it appears to be a permanent fixture on the calendar again which was Watkins Glen and having cemented its place on the calendar for next year King kind of good and timely that we had such a good return there. I mean, this race was top quality. Yeah, top quality. I was uh, people a little bit worried because you basically, uh, I think over the last year, the, the track had a $12 million repave. The entire thing was repaved for the first time since the 80s. So it was definitely a weekend for the fall of plenty of track records. 
Yes, the new track record phrase was uttered a lot. I think even on like tire saving or fuel saving modes or on worn tires, they were still averaging three seconds a lap quicker than the old lap record, which is when the series last went there in, I want to say 2010. Yeah, 2010. Um, and this was a race that was still very entertaining in spite of an absolute beatdown from one Scott Dixon, the man who may well be the best of a generation in American open wheel racing. And nothing he did at Watkins Glen convinced me that I'm wrong in that assumption. This was a guy who once again was absolutely dominant. He was outrageously fast. He was Mercedes levels of fast against everyone else in a series which has nowhere near the performance disparities as Formula One does. And even at the end, he did his old trick of somehow still being faster than everyone while saving fuel. King, this man is a wizard. <laughs> this guy isn't human. Like, he led 50 out of the 60 laps, which is like a strange feat in IndyCar. Like, leading yeah. that much of a race is very strange. And like, oh my God. He was like, even when he wasn't in the lead, he was clearly the fastest guy out there. Yeah, and it was ridiculous. Like, nothing was going to stop him winning. And... Uh, and I mean, this guy is Peter Perfect for a reason. We call him Peter Perfect for a reason, folks. Victory Lane afterwards, he's he's incredibly modest. He's happy. He's stoked. You know, he's not had the best season this year. Still third in the points. May well get second, depending on what happens to Will Power. We'll talk about that in a minute. And of course, he goes and donates his winnings to the, the Justin Wilson Foundation. Just you, oh, just, you can't hate this guy, can you? <laughs> he's just too perfect. It's sickeningly perfect, I think, is the way to way to describe Scotty Dixon, but no one begrudged him this one. Of course, as I say, he's had a below par season by his standards. This was only his second win of the year. Yes. But this was very much a Dixon performance. Yeah, second win of the year, and I think uh, second win of the year, but that puts him fourth on the all-time wins list now. It does, yeah. Yeah, I mean, further cementing my my (laughs) impression that he is the best of a generation in American open wheel racing. Yeah, he's fourth on the all-time wins list with 40 wins now. That's 40th career win this weekend. And wow. uh, number one on the all-time wins list, AJ Foyt with 61. Second, Mario Andretti with 52. And third, Michael Andretti with 42. He's only two wins behind Michael Andretti now. <sighs> Phenomenal. This, Dixon is just extraordinary. I mean, this is he's such a supreme talent. But it says a lot about the nature of IndyCar that even when he was in absolute beatdown mode, we still had a great race out of it. It, it wasn't even a given that he'd win the thing. Because yep. this was a race that went through several phases. It went through some pretty interesting uh, stuff going on. As I said earlier, you know, uh, a great return for the series. You know, fears about dirty air preventing overtaking. Very largely allayed, you know, like, I mean, good 40k, 40,000 attendance yeah. there for the it's series. Like, which is, it's, for a rescheduled race, that's great. Yeah, for a rescheduled race, that's fantastic. It, it doesn't touch when nascar goes there but man 40k on a race that you know wasn't planned to even be there at the start of the season yeah yeah great great overall attendance there and the racing itself was very high quality it was good stuff and i think that the biggest story coming out of the race overall apart from scott dixon's beatdown was this may be where the 2016 championship was decided going in we were all saying about how it wouldn't be decided at watkins Glen. it would go to sonoma no matter what happened except it might have been settled because not only did Simon Pagenaud drive a tactically superb race going on the attack when he needed to, especially at turn one on the first corner. Oh my goodness. That was, he gained something like five positions in the first corner. Yeah. He went on the attack when he wanted to, but he also drove smartly when he wanted to. I think he may have won the championship in that middle stint where he went five, four or five laps longer than everyone because he was in clean air. 
He went out there and then he pitted in, came back out, something like five positions up the road from Will Power. That in itself did not win the championship. The moment Power got together with Charlie Kimball coming out of the S's and had a pretty big crash, may well be the one that decided it. Because King not only did this, of course, put him at a big disadvantage points-wise, it was reported after the race, he had a recurrence of the concussion symptoms that he felt back at St. Petersburg. So he may not be medically cleared to race oh, at Sonoma. Today it was announced that he would be cleared to race. He's cleared to oh, race. Oh, he will be yes. cleared. Okay, so the, the, that answers the question. The championship will go to the final round. But even so, King, this is he's massively behind the eight ball here. Yeah, apparently, oh God, if I could recall, Will Power would need to win the race, score all the bonus points, and Simon Pagano has to finish lower than sixth. <sighs> I mean, it's... Maybe possible. I mean, Scott Dixon did it last year to take it away from Montoya, but I don't even think the points gap was that big for them last year, was it? Oh, uh, okay. Let me do a quick check because I know the difference in points. Difference in points this year isn't too massive considering that's a double points race. It's 43. It's, yeah, it's 43 this year. So that's yeah, a possibility. With there, like but... 100 points for a win, it's possible. <laughs> That, I mean, that is, when you put it like that, that is very possible. But yeah, it's just, a lot has got to go right for Will and a lot's got to go wrong for Simon, which in IndyCar terms, potentially. But it feels to me like Pagano did everything he could have done at Watkins Glen to turn around what at first was looking like a bit of a mediocre race, potentially. I mean, for the most part in the early laps, he was in front of power. They were right together on the racetrack. They, they were inseparable you really struggled to see how he kind of put some separation between himself and Will. And in the end, he managed to do it in pretty good style. Yeah. Where, I mean, that, that seems to be, that seemed to be like a little trend for this weekend where people kind of put away turned you know, bad starts into great finishes where you had Sebastian Bourdais basically put it in the wall at lap one and finish fifth. Yeah, that was remarkable. I mean, that was, that was extraordinary. Had a, a big incident on the first corner. Bordet was around. I think a few other guys were involved. And then he comes back, finishes fifth. And really what happened here, what ended up happening was with the power Kimball crash around half distance. This was a Charlie Kimball, by the way, who'd already gotten an incident with Graham Rahal, yes. which, as you can imagine, Rahal was completely balanced and calm about. I <laughs> know oh, he wasn't. He completely put Kimball on blast, yeah, like, which was kind of unfair. Somehow, because, like, in these two incidents, Will Power, out of the race, like, retired Graham Rahal retired Charlie Kimball finishes sixth <laughs> yeah Kimball's just like I'm I'm still going I'm just here <laughs> so maybe that was why the other drivers were well I mean Rahal throws the shade even when he's won a goddamn race that's just what he does I love Graham and all but come on but um I mean this was uh, that kind of changed the strategy to a degree because it was going to be like a two three stop kind of race uh, and that sort of came out just a little bit earlier than people would have liked. So you had this kind of interesting final 10 laps where people were kind of going, do we save to the end? It's going to take a lot of saving or do we just take the hit, come in for a splash of fuel and come back out? And to be honest with you, both strategies kind of paid dividends. I mean, Dixon, we know, is a wizard. He was he is able to create fuel just from <laughs> the kind of gleamingness of his own smile. He is able to generate fuel. So he was still like 10 seconds up the road from everyone, even while saving fuel. But behind him, in what I like to call the battle for first place for the mortals, it was very interesting. I mean, we had, you know, we had some guys who tried to save to the end, didn't quite make it. And in the second week of heartbreak, I mean, seriously, someone on the set of Dancing with the Stars, give James Hinchcliffe a hug. 
Yes. This boy needs it. After Texas and losing it how he did, he then was on for third in this race. Well, he was running second for the longest time. Uh, he was on for third, coughed and spluttered to a halt with two corners to go and finished something like 18th. Yeah, he finished 18th. And the only consolation was Borde giving him a ride back to the pits, Alonso, Mark Webber style, which was which was pretty sweet. That was cool. Yeah. Contrastingly, Connor Daly spluttered near the end, but still managed to come home for fourth place, which was a great turnaround for his weekend. Yeah, he, he parked but, it on the front street after crossing the finish line and finished fourth. <laughs> yeah, that was, a, that was a great finish needed for him, really. Good result there. Helio Castro Neves ran a sort of slightly alternate strategy to everyone um, and actually came in and topped off with fuel with, with with fuel for four laps to go and charged back to third in the end. He got third in the end. So the whole take fuel on and then just charge seemed to work. It, it worked for Kimball as well. He got P6. Max Chilton had a decent day as well. He was right there with Kimball on a similar strategy. Um and Joseph Newgarden seemed to do the best of both worlds because he saved, 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 saved. And there were guys just coasting around the track, going so slow. Pagano was just, you'd go on board with Pagano and Newgarden and Hinch, and they were just barely on the throttle for seconds at the time. Because it was ridiculous. Like, they did not have enough fuel to finish the race, and they knew that it was finishing the race was more important than trying to maintain position and maybe lose, like, everything. Yeah, I mean, it was it was very difficult to do. I mean... Uh, Joseph Newgarden, as I say, kind of combined uh, both things. I, I think, to be honest with you, I don't think there's much better ways a weekend could have gone for me being the first weekend where I officially went, okay, Joseph Newgarden's my boy, let's go. Um, had a pretty decent run. Both the Ed Carpenter racing cars were pretty decent. Spencer Pigger in that spectacular-looking Samsung car had a good yeah. run. I think he finished in the top 10, didn't he? Yeah, he finished, so, he finished ninth ahead of Max Shilton. Ahead of Max Shilton in 10th, yeah. Um, shout out, by the way, to Chilton's James Hunt he had a throwback of his own except yep. it was his helmet <laughs> wait that that could come out wrong but his crash helmet uh was a james hunt livery inspired by james hunt's win in the u.s grand prix of 1976 of course what is that now 40 years ago 50 yeah 50, um, <laughs> yeah 50 years ago for now 40 years ago <laughs> 40 years ago yeah yeah it's it's too long ago either way but uh shout out to him and he, he gave james hunt james hunt was riding with him and i think he'd have been pretty chuffed with how the race went and as i say new garden um, had a weird sort of mixed strategy near the end. He was hitting the fuel numbers and then demanded to his engineer for him to cut loose with like one or two laps to go and just went on a tear, blew past James Hinchcliffe, who was still desperately saving and still didn't save enough, which is annoying. Like fuel mileage is so, must be so frustrating to try and do as a driver because it goes against everything, every instinct you have as a driver. But Newgarden went on a tear, easily locks up second in the end, or as I say, first place for the mortals because there's no way he was catching <laughs> Dixon. But a good weekend for Joey Newgarden. And um, another guy we've got to give a shout out to. Uh, and this is the guy, actually, I've got down in my notes that he finished ninth. He may have finished eighth, maybe a little bit higher up. R.C. Ennison. Uh, Good day overall for the Dale Coin drivers. Yeah, uh, he came in in 19 Yeah, R.C. Ennison finished ninth. Ah, he did. So where did Kimball, uh, not Kimball, uh, where did... Uh, yeah, I said Chilton finished 10th. Oh, Chilton finished 10th. So Piggott was what, eighth or 11th? Uh, Spencer Piggott, 15th. Oh, yeah. he was oh further back than I thought. Oh, okay. Um he was running out, you know, he was running top ten for large parts of the race though. So he was he was pretty aggressive. He was getting right in there, rolling his sleeves up. But yeah, RC Ennison, low-key kind of weekend. He, he qualified up in the sort of top six, didn't he? And was I think Dale Coyne ran him on a pretty conservative strategy because he was mostly on pit road a lot of the time under cautions and that near the back, but Worked out for him in the end, finished P9 in only his second start in the series. And he looks like a proper little heartbreak kid. It's fantastic. He's a proper yeah. little, like, 
He, he really does. But I mean, driving talent, no question. This guy's got something there. Yeah, he's definitely for like for like he is a rookie of rookies. Someone who you know a rookie coming in for a part time ride in the middle of a season to perform that well is very, very impressive. Yeah, it was a, it was a really good drive. You got to you got to give him props for his maturity. He kept the thing clean, which was was difficult to do at times out there. But he he drove a really sensible race in the end. So an overall great weekend at Watkins Glen, a really enjoyable race. And we also had, I mean, this is why IndyCar's great. We say Formula One, the only interesting stuff happens off the track. Watkins Glen has in, well, IndyCar has interesting stuff on and off the track, so we get good <laughs> racing. And we also have some interesting silly season stuff. And I mean, we've been waiting for the cards to start tumbling in IndyCar silly season, mainly because we all know Joseph Newgarden's in a contract year. He's a free agent at the end of this year. Does he resign with ECR? Does he go to Penske and Ganassi, who are apparently both interested? Well, actually, it wasn't him that triggered everything. It was Sebastian Bourdais who announced he was off to, of all places, Dale Coyne. Yes. He King, I mean, one of your French boys. I mean, this is one of your French bros. So you've got to be the expert here. What? What? Where has this come from? Um, apparently, KV Racing, KVHS Racing, I mean, they couldn't guarantee that he would have a long-term spot with the team, and he felt he would have, you know, a better, he would have more stability at Dale Coyne. Mm, that's very true. I mean, Marshall Pruitt broke this news on Saturday. I remember I was there with, uh, I was hanging out over at Dre's house when he he broke the news to me. He saw it on his Twitter when we both nearly sort of exploded with, What? It was just like, we just couldn't believe it. But um, I, th- I think the big concern, well, I say concern, the big thing we all want to know, because it was Marshall Pruitt who broke the news, but I asked him about this on Twitter. He didn't seem to know at the time. Understandable, you know, the news had only just broke. But I think the thing is here, is Bourdais going to the 18 to replace Connor Daly or is he going to the 19, which for the past few seasons has been a, who's got the biggest checkbook? Good, we need some money. You can run that car. Like the 18 car has kind of been the car that coin could afford to sign someone to, but the 19 car has been the one that the driver kind of has to pay to drive for. So what does this mean for daily mm. is if, if he's getting bored as a teammate, then fantastic. But if it's a replacement, then not so good. Yeah. Like four is a big enough name to bring his own sponsorship. But again, that's what I'm wondering. Again, Marcel Pruitt says, you know, there's a lot of theories, but nothing solid for sure. No one knows. Yeah, so I think this is something we're going to have to keep an eye on here. I think Bourdais going over there is very solid. Bourdais is probably one of the strongest drivers in the field still outside of the big teams. Yeah, like still, still like I think he's sixth on the all time wins list and he's still a threat to actually get into top three just because he wins one or two races every year. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, obviously, we can all say what we will about his champ car dominance and he did lay the beat down on that field i'll never have any i'll never let anyone tell me that those dominant years in champ car were like a fluke or he had no no opposition that was ridiculous i still think he had massive massively bad luck in formula one he could easily have been in the the vettel position had a few things like the day that the 2008 italian grand prix when vettel got his first career win bordet could have finished up there as well and yet his car wouldn't select first gear on the grid and it put him a lap down before the race even began. Yeah. That's kind of a summary of four days career for you in F1. Yeah, he like, came back to IndyCar even, and he's like, been solid since then. Even watching like that season, just remembering like for me, I could tell it was leading towards Vettel around well before the start of the European season in Monaco. That's when things really started to like, this is not looking good. It's just not happening for him, is it? But, uh, interestingly, he has driven for Dale Coyne back in IndyCar. He, ha- he has driven for them before. 
um, in his first full season in 2011 in IndyCar. It, yes. I mean, it wasn't great, but um, he, it was his first team when he came into IndyCar in 2011, having come back from Formula One. So he has previous knowledge of the team over there. Um, and I mean, as I say, he's still a threat to win. He wins one or two races per year still, even though he's in, you know, he's not in one of the big two teams. Could he be a championship threat with the right equipment? I think so. Will he be with Dale Coyne? I'm not so sure, no. but... I mean, there's few guys, King, on the grid who you could sign to a team like that who would give a team like that a massive boost like Bordet. Yeah, Bordet is an insta-boost. He's kind of like, I don't know. I don't want to say he's his championships are devalued. I think like they still count as, you know, like I, I, I kind of use the phrase that his, his wins and championships are canon, but you like, because they were in the champ car series. And I think the last few, they were in the alternate universe. Yeah. They were, they were in the alternate universe <laughs> where ovals rarely existed. Yeah. So, I mean, he's still certainly, I mean, that's the thing. He's still, he's good on ovals yeah, as well. Like is- he won Milwaukee last year. Like when he his first season back with Dale Coyne um, in 2011, he didn't race the oval. Says he was like a part time road course only guy, and oh, I see. And he slowly got his footing back on the ovals, and he he's kind of grown to actually be fairly competitive on them. He's been a threat for them. I tell you what, he's got Detroit on lockdown. <laughs> yeah. he's won there the last two years. He won Milwaukee last year. He's won Toronto in 2014 which is something of a breakthrough for him in his his return to American open-wheel racing. So this is a solid signing for Dale Coyne. It just remains to be seen what this means for Connor Daly going forward. And to be honest with you, considering Danny Brennan and Elizabeth Worth, friends of the show, I kind of hope it's good news for Daly. Yeah. Um, I think we all do, really, because I think Daly's had a solid rookie season this year. He's done about as much as could be expected of him, so yeah, it would like, be a shame to see well, him go his, away. His again. fourth last weekend actually gives still, like, he's still mathematically eligible to win rookie of the year, despite... Rossi winning the 500. I think he's 75 points back on Rossi. Yeah, that is. And that's quite phenomenal. I think Daly has been the most impressive uh, rookie of the season so far. Yeah. Uh, It just, I mean, obviously Rossi winning the 500, that's pretty impressive. I mean, Rossi Rossi has been like, sorry, Sarah Connors. Rossi seemingly has been sporadic i mean you can account with that for like andretti andretti in general but it's either rossi does very well or very poorly yeah there's no sort of middle ground is there and he's you know i mean rossi's been very impressive and he, he seems to have cemented himself in indycar i think going forward it'll be uh useful to see uh how he he adds up i mean i'm looking at the the rookie of the year standings um I mean, Spencer Piggott's fourth, but he hasn't run all the races. Uh, he's obviously alternated with uh, Ed Carpenter. He is, I mean, he's not too far. I mean, Daly's there behind Rossi. Of course, Rossi gets a huge amount of points from the 500. Chilton's not had a bad season himself. The rookie class this year has been pretty good overall. Um, so I think it would be a shame if if that went away again for Daly, who has that, obviously has a bit of GP2 experience in him as well. So I think we're all hoping, really, that the Bordet news means that Daly's going to get a killer teammate rather than a P45. Yeah, and having, I think that's all having Sebastian Bordet as a teammate would be great for Daly. Oh, that'd be absolutely mega. So the first big card has fallen in silly season. Uh, we'll have more kind of speculation. Well, and, there's and actually some other news where, y- you know, the free, the biggest free agent on the block... <laughs> Joseph Newgarden. Apparently yes. over the weekend, 
Michael Andretti says he's interested in getting New Garden and having an all-American lineup at Andretti Autosport. And having only Americans at Andretti means the current one non-American probably won't be there next year. Which is a shame because that's Carlos Munoz, who's been very, very good yes. on, on, on certain occasions. And I mean, the other news coming out of the camp appeared to be that Andretti wants to shuffle Marco Andretti over to the Brian Herter car, which is car number 98, which would indicate he probably wants Rossi in the main team, maybe give some separation between himself and Marco. Uh, because let's be real here. Marco has just been disappointing again this season. He's he's not finished in the top seven all year. I mean, he was the subject of some savagery from Paul Tracy on commentary when <laughs> Paul Tracy basically said, I have no idea. I, I think the only options for Marco Andretti for rides next year are staying at Andretti or an Uber. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just straight savage. I mean, Paul Tracy is one of the most savage guys out there when he wants to be. But uh, this was brutal. But I think, you know, Michael Andretti wants some separation between himself and Marco. So maybe moving him over to the Brian Herter end of the organization and it'd be interesting to see if Newgarden goes over there. I mean, Newgarden is easily far and away the top guy in the championship this year, not at the big two. Yes. I mean, he's up there. He's fifth in the points right now. And this was after missing Texas. Um, he's up there. He splits Castroneves and Canaan. The next closest guy is Ray Hall in seventh, who's not that far behind, granted. But I mean, even so, worth noting as well, on Carlos Munoz, He's eighth in the points. The next Andretti guy is Rossi in 11th. Ryan Hunter raised 13th and Andretti's 17th. Yeah. And you're telling me Munoz could be the guy who gets cut. Which is insane, but I, uh, it's, oh, it's, it's frustrating. Like, like these aren't like, oh, speculation that, you know, Michael Andretti could be. No, this is a direct quote from Michael Andretti. Yeah, so this is all stuff that is happening. I mean, we'll we'll get more into some of the silly season speculation uh, next week, uh, or probably in the off season as well. We've got a stack show for now, so that'll conclude the IndyCar segment, I think, pretty much. Yeah, um, we're pretty much so, done. Yeah, so finally, deep breath. Well, we made it through the F1, so that's fine. As long as we made it through that, we're fine. But uh, we have a quick mailbag segment. We're going to deploy a new mailbag segment for you drop us in on the comments for us. We posted up earlier in the week, uh, your questions for us. They can be related to topics we talked about on the show or completely other ones. Um, off topic ones are often fun in, in itself. So, you know, drop us questions in the week of recording. Normally we record Monday nights. So drop us the questions around then on our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com forward slash motorsport one Oh one, or on the Twitter page. As I say, once we get a dedicated Twitter going forward, you'll be able to tweet us there. So we have a few questions here. Um, Joseph Hudson, I'll answer this one straight away. Joseph Hudson, is V8 supercars worth watching? Yes. Next question. <laughs> yeah, there's, um, there's no, there's no, like, watch it. Just watch yes, it. Yes, pretty much. Uh, Nathan Green uh, says, thoughts on Simone Di Silvestro having a go at this year's 1000 and having to look to a full-time seat next year in supercars. We've talked about that already. Very good. He says, personally, I think it's great. Showed some real skills in her previous drives. Be nice to see her try her hand at something new. We agree. Yes. Pretty much. That's kind of what we said. Um, Connor Pink has been pretty greedy and taken two questions. It's because we had two posts about it because we had the one where it was like, we're going to record Monday. And then we had another post, which was, we're not going to record Monday. <laughs> but, um, we have more time to get questions. Pretty much, yeah. Um, his first one was, uh, if Bernie was to drop one of the less popular events on the F1 calendar and Imola could sort itself out, would the calendar benefit stroke be able to support two Italian Grand Prix? And I kind of said in a reply, I said kind of in the same way how MotoGP effectively has three Spanish Grand Prix because of the fan base out there. So, yeah, similar sort of thing. I mean, 
what do you think, King? Can you think? Do you think F1 can justify two Italian Grand Prix? Maybe one of them being the de facto European Grand Prix? Oh, I, I don't know what to say about that. I think it's it's down to whether that circuit can afford it, and it's also down to whether there's room on the calendar. Yeah, which at the moment, with the calendar being as big as it's ever been, I think is a bit of a non-starter, isn't it? I mean, surely the F1 calendar is only going to get smaller going forward rather than bigger. Yeah, it's only going to get bigger. I think they have a current agreement with the teams and the FIA saying the calendar could be up to 25 races, which is... Wow. Yeah, which is like... You're That's crazy. You're like leaving IndyCar size to like inching towards NASCAR size. Well, like on paper, it seems like you could have 25 races if all of all the new races you add are in Europe. Yeah, it could be. That could be worthwhile. But I just I think at this point in time with F1, especially with F1 wanting to still go into new markets, I think if there's any new races, it will be in different countries altogether rather than ones we already have races in. I mean... I think you could have make the new markets debate like maybe 10 years ago, but now it's like, what markets haven't F1 been to now? Or at least tried and sort of not really worked out at. Yeah, it's like, like the only place left to, you know, go like this would be to go back to an old market would be to like maybe have a South African Grand Prix again, but that doesn't seem likely. Like, that's the only, like, market left. Like, South America, Central, like, America and Mexico, North America, Europe, Asia, Southeast Asia, Australia, they're all covered. Yeah, they're all there, pretty much. Like, the global player F1 is not going to be improved any further. They've either gone to a country and it's not worked out, or they've gone to a country and stayed. There's literally not that many, unless you're talking about an Arctic Grand Prix anytime soon. I mean... It could happen. <laughs> F1 is that crazy sometimes. So, uh, you know, I mean, uh, we also have, I mean, his second question goes into having a look at how many of the current F1 drivers do we think will be considered to be one of the greatest drivers never to win a title? Um, the obvious one being Rosberg, but he also implies that he says he has doubts over whether Daniel Ricciardo will be able to win a championship. So basically of those two, do you think both of them will potentially go down as in that sort of best drive, in that what I call the Mark Martin category? Uh, I want to say definitely Rosberg if he doesn't win one for Mercedes. But Ricardo, it's... I I want to say yes, but again, like, it's hard to say because he hasn't gotten that many wins. Like, he's gotten wins, which automatically puts you in the conversation. But to say he would be that good of a driver like saying that he's a potential champion yes definitely a potential champion to say that he should have been champion like mm, that's a bit iffy like that is uh, that is a difficult one to pose like really. if i had to say like comparing it to another driver i would say i would put robert Kubica in that category where he's like he was a potential champion but should he have been a champion based on his performances no i don't think you can ever say that about any driver you know coulda woulda shoulda that happens a lot in sport it's the nature of it you can't really speculate on these sort of things uh one final question we've covered it a little bit is from uh marcus hoare of course big friend of the show uh what do we think will happen in indycar silly season after borday threw a grenade in the middle of it with the dcr move well i think we've talked a little bit about this already i guess he's wondering what potentially happens next with joseph newgarden and that 
What do you reckon? Oh, God. We're going to get into this more detail next week. I think we'll have more time to cover it. But yeah, like we'll have more time to cover it. Maybe more news will come out. Like, yeah. Oh, it's going to be a bit iffy because they're like again. It's more of the big teams trying to make a move on on Joseph Newgarden, where basically Andretti they want to re-cement their spot. Like, like let's be yeah, honest, they want to get back up there. They want to make it a big three again. Yeah, like. Like, you're the only person I ever hear referred to as the big two now. Most people say it, it's still a big three, but Andretti have fallen off the, like, really have fallen off the wagon. And uh, there are murmurs that Roger Pensy kind of want to, like, shift away from Juan Pablo Montoya and put give him, like, a button-type deal where Montoya races for, you know, a Penske sports car program and they get Newgarden in the seat. Uh, Ganassi, I don't know. I've also heard from some sources that Montoya might be going back to Ganassi. He might. I mean, be this going- is all from Marshall Pruitt, which generally he's he's not one for just open, just rumors yeah. with no substance to them. So, I mean, Montoya has history with Ganassi. We know that it all appears to be around the number ten car. Whether he keeps Kanan on, Montoya goes there, or does Newgarden go to Ganassi in the ten? Who knows? There's a lot still to be worked out here. Yeah, like. It- when it comes to retirement in IndyCar, it's kind of doesn't really happen. Like the last time there was a big retirement was against the driver's will where Dario had to retire. Besides that, there has yes. been like zero big retirements in IndyCar in like the past decade. Yeah, the longevity of races over there just appears to be so much more so. I mean, look at guys like, I mean, Kanan is what, 40? Yes. 41? 41. You can- and he's still... he's been having one of the best seasons of his career in a long time this year he's up in sixth in the points he's been up there consistently race after race he's as good as he's ever been yeah it's like it's starting to get to the point where people have been i said over the weekend he's kind of like indycar's kimi raikkonen he's the guy who people want to kind of surely he's past it now but he just stubbornly refuses to fade away he's just still really good yeah where it's like even though he's filming fast eight sorry i had to get that joke (laughs) Where it's like um, people kind of put like the theoretical like end to an IndyCar career at 45 years old where like Tony Kanaan's like maybe I could be doing this for like the next six years maybe where people kind of want Kanaan to retire but Kanaan clearly is not showing any like talent or ability fall off. No, there's just there's just nothing there's nothing to indicate that he can't keep doing this for the longest time. So he'd be a good pickup. If if Ganassi cuts him loose, he'd be a good pickup for someone. I imagine he wouldn't struggle to find rides somewhere. I think basically the answer to the question, Marcus, is we have about as much idea as you do. And at this point in time, we're only speculating. Um, I nearly said speculating. Um, <laughs> we really got, got sued for that. Um, but uh, I think, King, what do you reckon? I think we've just about got through one of the most stacked shows we've ever done. Yes, the most stacked show we've ever done with only two people on it. Yes, and I believe this must be the first show in the history of Motorsport 101 without Dre on it. Yes, this is the first show without Dre and we made it. Which I know, it's just weird. He's probably like, Dre, I hope you're happy with what you've heard. (laughs) He must just be, oh God, like it was so weird. I'm like, uh, you know, that's the scheduling conflicts this week has been a has been just a bastard for everyone involved. But um glad we made it through. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you guys enjoyed uh, the show just as much, even without our glorious leader Dre in the house. But it's it's been fun. Um I hope I've matched his levels of cynicism and wit. I probably haven't got in as many Steph Curry references. 
Um, but hey, you know, you get something different with me. Uh, I got all the NASCAR out of my system in the first five minutes, I think. <laughs> but um, if you've enjoyed the show, remember where you can always catch us. You can catch us on SoundCloud. That's our main base of operations, soundcloud.com forward slash motorsport 101. And of course, over on iTunes, you search motorsport 101 over there. Please hit the subscribe button. You'll get every uh, episode downloaded to your iOS device if you're over there, if you use iTunes. And also helps us out, of course. Um, we're also on Stitcher and TuneIn Radio. And of course, if you're liking what you're hearing and you want to help us make this even better than ever, please consider supporting us over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Motorsport 101. You got that already. Uh, there's a lot of pledges over there. There's a lot of cool deals, bits and bobs. There's merchandise over there. There's shout outs on the show. There's all neat things like that. We're hoping to bring back the pre-palooza more as a sort of Grand Prix post-show maybe going forward. Um, so that'll be part of the deal over there. Uh, if you can't uh, support us that way, realize that anything you do in terms of sharing us on social media, in terms of talking about the show, you know, just telling your friends about it, it's all helping us out a lot. And we appreciate it massively for all of you. So it's been a pleasure doing it tonight. Ryan King, I think we'll have to do this again sometime. Maybe with Dre back in the house, but I, yeah. I don't know. So we just keep the keys. <laughs> yeah, just, you know, enjoy Ryan, go around the block a couple of times. <laughs> Yeah, all right. I'll see you out front in five minutes. Bring the beers. Let's, uh, let's go take this thing for a joyride. Meantime, we will see you guys next week. Hopefully with Dre back in the house if we let him in. Um, and it's been an absolute pleasure from myself, Adam Johnson, and from Ryan King. This has been Motorsport 101, and I'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. Bye. Like I'm not really you are the world champion! <laughs>